All right, so this is the third time we're doing this. It's the best part of the year, the season finale. It is called the Millie Awards. It's our annual awards show. We did it the first time, I think, improv uh, or like pretty, pretty close to it. We did it just like kind of on a whim. People loved it. So we brought it back and now we're bringing it back again. And it's basically a, it's our awards. So we do categories like Billy of the Year, Breakout Company or Person. Uh, our favorite unsexy business, uh, our own best investments and our own worst investments, things like that. Um, so I'm excited. I already got the uh, sort of season finale vibes and uh, I'm, I'm excited for this. You want to say anything? Sam, Dude, you, we look, you, you look like you drive a white G-Wagon right now. I can't believe <laughs> how fast you've gone from Indian to Persian. I look like my mistress drives a white G wagon. <laughs> <laughs> you went from nerdy Indian to alpha Persian with just one jacket. And that's kind of amazing how that's happened. <laughs> I've never sold a rug, but I feel like I could right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, did, did you guys, you guys, let's see, you, Sam, you didn't get the memo about dressing up. Andrew, are you, uh, your mic He's is blind. He's a blazer. You're, yeah, you're blazered up. Did you guys bring? I'm wearing bring a cardigan, drink? bro. Bro, you always wear a cardigan. You always have like you know, modern grandma style. But I'm uh, I'm 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 at a, a guest place. You know, I'm I'm on an Airbnb. I got to do what I got to do. I didn't bring <laughs> up bring. I didn't bring my Persian apparel. I'm sorry. All right. Well, guys, cheers to a great year, uh, a crazy year. I have I don't know what, what what's in everybody's cup here. So Sam, you're you're a classic Midwestern cola kind of guy. You probably say cola, don't you? <laughs> No, but I am drinking a Coke. <laughs> There's that great map where it's like some people say pop, some people say cola, some people say, you know, soda or something like that. I feel like you might be a pop guy. Uh, Andrew, what you got in the cup? I've got a AeroPressed uh, coffee in a tiny mug. Bro, you just brought to you by, you just sponsored this exactly. whole pod just now. That was slick. Um, I have a uh, very frigid cold water with fresh lemon juice inside. Maybe I'm starting to cleanse. I saw a great tweet. He goes, I don't cleanse. I clog. <laughs> and I thought that's pretty, that's pretty good. <laughs> You're on a juice cleanse. I'm on a cheese clog. <laughs> um, all right. So cheers to you guys. Uh, 20 million downloads this year for the podcast, which is, I think, six times bigger than last year. My, or maybe four or five, five times. I might, might have my math wrong there, but I think YouTube's up six X and the pod is up four X or something like that. Um, Big year, big year for us, which is which is fun. And Andrew, you were the most frequent guest. You're the most favorite guest. And so it is only right to have you here. All right. So without further ado, should we jump in to the categories? We're going to go. Uh, I'll announce the category, I think. And then we go kind of round robin. Um, last year, we did it where we kind of picked who had the best answer after each one. I don't know if you guys want to do that or uh, any any adjustments to the to the format here. Well, I think, by the way, I, your order was a little off. So, for example, if we're going to start with Billy of the Year, then that has to, the next person, because it's a, also a per, the, the next category should be craziest person of the year as well. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, well, let's do it this way. Um, we'll take turns, uh, me and you, Sam, of just picking categories, and then uh, you can go whatever order you want. So, okay. Hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI-powered service hub. Okay, so what is Service Hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver 
personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new service hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. Let's start, let's start with Billy of the Year. Uh, so for those who don't know, we do the segment called Billy of the Week, where we typically will feature a billionaire or somebody who maybe is not actually t- technically a billionaire, but they carry themselves with that billionaire energy and uh, somebody who's just doing life in an interesting way. So, Sam, who is your Billy of the Year? Uh, mine's so boring. So I, 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 my boring answer is Zuck because he's proven that like, He's actually pretty good. All these, everyone else this year that's been in his category has gone fucking insane. Bezos got a divorce. Elon's crazy. All Zuck does is box. That's like his version of crazy. <laughs> like he's turned out to be okay. So I would say he's probably like the Robots Billy are of the year. Emotionally stable, huh? Yeah, he's done all right. But if I had to pick another one, it would be this guy named Brett Adcock. Brett Adcock mm. is this guy I met about six months ago. He basically is only 34 to 36 years old. He's a young guy. He made a lot of money when he sold his company called Vettery for $100 million. Then he created... Vettery is like a recruiting company. It's not sexy. But then he created a flying drone company that he took pu- public called Archer. It was worth 2 or $3 billion at its peak. Now he told me that he's... Uh, took roughly $200 million of his own money, which I think was like the majority of his liquid net worth other than the house that he owns. And he's piled all of it into bootstrapping a new robotic company called uh, where they make humanoids. And that guy's pretty fucking insane. And I love crazy people like that. That's a great one. Andrew, who you got? Billy of the year. So mine, mine is actually a MFM guest, Palmer Lucky. Mm. Um, oh, good and I, one. I feel like, you know, it's a little obvious, but I feel like um, you, you see so many of these billionaires who they make all this money and then they get very focused on PR and they're very safe and they won't put their money where their mouth is. And what I loved about him is that a, he's actually taking his own capital and investing it in Andrew and doing something that is actually important in the world or what he deems important. And he actually just like calls people out. Like he's honest, he's not a politician. And I think most of these billionaires you talk to, they are very political. They have a PR team. He obviously does not. I thought that was so awesome when he went to the, uh, what is it, the all-in conference and just roasted Cal Canis for like an hour. Um, so yeah, mad respect. I think he's awesome. And I thought that was one of the best interviews of the year. That's a great one. Um, I love, love that one. I, th- I considered Palmer Lucky as well. Same. I decided to go with somebody a little more under the radar. Not a Billy, not a billionaire. But somebody who lives like I think a billionaire should. So it's this guy who came to Camp MFM, which was our kind of like private retreat of 20 or 30 badass people that we did. Who, uh, Al? No, Saeed. 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 So Saeed is a guy I didn't know much about. You had mentioned him before. I, didn't, I never met him. He we, might be a billionaire. He might be, but, uh, but it, it doesn't matter. He lives like one. So when we met him at the camp, I was like, so what do you do? And he... First of all, he just had the most chill energy. He was not stressed. He was not worried. He was not seeking attention. He was he had none of those small boy traits. And instead, he was relaxed. He was having fun. He was asking people questions. And I asked him, I said, so what do you what do you do? And he's like, well, you know, I and he he started to explain and somebody else cut him off and was like, let me brag for you for a second here. So what Saeed owns is basically the largest collection of WordPress websites and tools. So. If you search for WordPress, like, uh, you know, WordPress powers like 30 or 40% of all internet websites. And so people are often searching, how do I do this on my WordPress site? 
you'll land typically on one of his websites like WP Beginner or WP Engine or whatever. And from there, it'll say, well, if you want to capture emails of people who come in using WordPress, like an email capture pop up, use Optin Monster owned by also Saeed. And so he basically has the landing spot where people come. He's got the number one search rankings. Then he owns the tools that he refers. And so he turned his random curious traffic into SaaS subscribers. He basically built an empire. He's telling us about the gas stations he owns and all the other crazy stuff he does with his money. And his work style was, was one that I envy. He's like, well, here's my month. The last week of the month, I do all my meetings with the operators of my businesses. I was like, so what do you do the other three weeks? And he's like, one, like one to one and a half weeks, we travel. So we just go to Costa Rica. Then we go to Egypt. Then we go wherever. Like me and my family, we just love to travel. And then I read and I just chill out. And I think uh, the other the other week and a half, I play with my son a lot. We play basketball. And I was like, wow, this guy is dominating his business niche, but he's also checking the box on family. He's checking the box on travel. He's got it going on. So I was really impressed by Saeed. This he year. also very, very uh, giving too. He, he gives away a lot of money too. Yeah. Amazing guy. So, uh, so he's mine. That's uh, all right. So those are the billies of the year. I I'll just put it out there. I think Palmer was the right answer. What do you think, Sam? I agree. Palmer was the right answer. You're if you haven't seen the clip of him going to Jason Calacanis's conference, it's like going to someone's birthday party and roasting him. Uh, that Amazing. was epic. Andrew, did you hear on our pod when we asked Palmer if he could kick Jason's ass? <laughs> yeah, when he was talking about his scale, his like how tall he was. And stuff. He goes, yeah, he was like, well, you know, if you look at the physics of this, I, I forget exactly <laughs> how he explained it, but he was like a very engineer. He goes Got like, a bear beat you know, up I'm a monkey. One. Yeah, he said something like that. Like it, it, it was pretty funny. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next category. Sam, you can pick one. Um, let's say, talk about the biggest L we each took this year. <laughs> okay, Andrew. You, you go first, Andrew. And by the yeah. way, this category, the biggest L, so it's the biggest loss you took, but it can be, it can, it doesn't have to be like a big, serious thing. It, it's just, a, it's just a loss that you put in the, in the loss column, however big or small it was in your life. Yeah. So I read this book about 15 years ago by this guy, Ramit Sethi. Uh, he's got a website, I will teach you to be rich. And he's got a book called, I will teach you to be rich. And at the time, I knew absolutely nothing about personal finance or finance at all. And he had this really great section where he says, people think they need to save money on lattes. What they actually need to save money on is percentages. And so he's talking about interest rates on credit cards, interest rates on mortgage, uh, fees in real estate transactions. Like the difference between 2% and 2.5% is like $20,000. And people don't think he, about that. He says, uh, he goes, don't worry about $3 problems. Worry about, worry about $30,000 problems. Exactly. So I had one of those. Um, so, you know, maybe like two episodes ago, you know, a couple interviews ago, I talked about, um, you know, interest rates and the risks there. And this was very top of mind because we had a piece of debt in the company that uh, I wanted to lock in the interest rate on. And so we were going to buy all these hedges. And in order to do that, I had to sign all these documents. And I'm kind of lazy. I hate signing documents. And so these documents were sitting in our office. And I was like, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. I'll do it tomorrow. I kept putting it off. And then finally I signed it. And I realized that between the time that I, it was sitting there for a week, and in that week, the interest rate went up by like 1%. And that represented like $500,000 or something insane. And so just me being lazy and not signing that document and not thinking in percentages cost me like 500 grand. 
That'll do it. Uh, Sam, what you got? That's a great one. Um, This year, I met a guy who had an app called Intro. It's a great app. And I agreed to do it because he was like, hey, come try this. And I did. And it was one of the big, bigger mistakes of the year that I made. So basically, I'm on this app called Intro, where for what? a little you, while, people... Dude, could... you, you were bragging about how you were crushing it on Intro. How is this the L? That's such a weak move on my part to do it. So <laughs> this app, I got on there because I was like, oh, you know, and honestly, it's fun. It is quite fun to use. It's fun to like meet new people, but people pay me for my time. And it's quite addicting because... It's really you can make a substantial amount of money doing that, but if I'm supposed to be such a big swinging dick, if I'm supposed to be a hot shot like I want to be, I shouldn't be selling my time, or at least I shouldn't be selling my time and keeping the money. I should just give it away. And it was that was a big uh, that was a weak move on my part to uh, be selling my time, and I regret doing that. That's a that's a great one. I was making fun of you for that, and. Uh... And then I was also kind of like, wait, should I be doing that? That is a lot of money. And Dude, I was like, no, 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 be, don't sell your time. Don't sell your time. <laughs> it's such short-term thinking. And you know who really changed my opinion of it? Who actually could be Billy of the Year? What's the guy? Brian Johnson. Hmm. Brian Johnson from um, uh, Braintree. He like, kind of like didn't mean to do it, but he like was razzing me on using it. And I was like, you're right. What did, you're he, say? What did right. he say? That wasn't He was pod. telling us... Well, he told a story. He didn't. He wasn't directing it towards me, but he told a story about how he was like, instead of like getting this job, like I should just put more effort into my company. So then, in three years, this won't even be a problem. Instead of right now, I could just make this money that could temporary fix this. No, I should go for the long term fix and make it so like I don't even have to budget ever again. You know, I see a lot of. So I think like all three of us kind of probably grew up not having a ton of money. and really, really valuing like every dollar, right? So like I remember, um, you know, a thousand dollars was like a crazy amount of money to me because I could buy an iMac, and if I bought an iMac, then I could have one of my staff do all this work, and I could make like twenty thousand dollars from it. And so I feel like I still, if I I'm not careful, I think in those terms. And when someone comes along and offers you a thousand dollars an hour, it's like completely insane as an opportunity, Dude, or like three grand an hour or four grand totally. an hour. It it's, is crazy. It's, ama- it's amazing. But you get, and I know all these people that are like, I know guys that are worth $50 million and they still manage their own Airbnb bookings. And they'll be like, Oh sweet. I tweaked this. I made an extra $300 in cleaning fees or whatever. And I always think like, you, you know, you guys used a quote before, but it's like, you're playing, you're playing a pennies or sorry, you're, you're saving pennies in a dollars game. Like it's just ridiculous. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, but I, I, I some people enjoy that. Like Nathan Barry, uh, Nathan Barry owns ConvertKit. He's probably worth two hundred plus million dollars based off the valuation of ConvertKit, and he's still. I'll be with him and I'll pull out his phone, and he's like messaging Airbnb guests. I'm like, why are you doing this? He goes, I love it. And so in that case, I'm like, all right, cool. I don't like taking intro calls necessarily. Sometimes I do, but uh, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a there's a good test. I remember I talked to this guy when we got acquired by Twitch. I talked to a guy who had been acquired by Twitch three years ago. And I was like, yeah, let's get lunch. So we go out for lunch and I'm like, um, you know, he's, he's like, yeah, you're going to love it. You know, yeah, but watch out for this. He's like giving me a bunch of tips. I'm like, okay, great. Um, let me give you a tip real quick. And uh, yeah, I just got here, but let me give you a tip. I was like, why are you still here? And he's like, oh dude, um, I really like my job actually. You know, I, I didn't think I would stay here, but I really like it. You know, it's, it's fun. I just, blah, blah, blah. He tell, he's telling me how great it is, but I had kind of seen him in a couple meetings at this point. 
And I was like, these meetings aren't fun. So like, you know, I, I don't know what you're doing the other hours a day, but I saw you for like half a day last week and that, that didn't seem fun at all. Um, I said, okay, well maybe, maybe it is fun, but said, let me just ask you something. Um, you made, you know, he probably made like 10, $20 million on the sale. I said, uh, I said, so you don't need this job, but, uh, but, but you're not at the point where for you, you're just going to stop working altogether, blah, blah, blah. And I said, uh, I said, if you had a hundred million dollars in the bank, like literally, like if I open up your bank account right now, it's a hundred million dollars just sitting there. Would you come into work tomorrow? Like, would you, would you, would you do this just for fun? Cause at that point, you know, what you're making here every year is a, is a rounding error. It's a, you, you just make that in, in, in interest. Uh, if you were, uh, if you had a hundred million dollars sitting there, and he's like, well, no, then I would go do X, Y, Z. And I was like, okay, cool. So just, as long as we're just being honest, like, I'm not saying you're miserable here. I agree. But the stories we tell ourselves in order to justify doing something that we're actually doing for the money, but we don't want to say we're doing it for the money. We want to say we're doing it for all these other reasons. There's a very simple test. Imagine you had all the money. Would you still do this thing? And like but the other, the other, Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Berrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, if you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. That I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. The dangerous thing about that logic. So Ryan Holiday has this great Daily Stoic podcast. And re- recently he had um, an excerpt from Stephen Pressfield's book. He's got all these books about kind of discovering your thing and your mastery and art and all this kind of stuff. And he talks about how people get addicted to patterns. So people can be addicted to um, love. They can be addicted to money. They can be addicted to, you know, any, almost anything. And the question I always ask myself is I might love designing the website or I might love going to the Shopify stats and seeing the sales or doing the Airbnb management. But is that just me addicted to those dopamine hits, distracting myself from my greater purpose, right? From doing something where I have mastery that's new. Am I just going back to the same thing, right? Like you guys know the joy, there's this amazing confirmation bias joy of reading a book and hearing something you already know confirmed over and over and over again. I'll do this with like uh, value investing books, right? And I'll go, oh, I already know that. I do that. I feel good, right? (laughs) That's actually a waste of time. And so that's the flip side of it. The the other one is uh, my buddy told me this when I when I'd been working on my startup for six or seven years, and he was like, he's like he told me he's like you know I just don't get what you're doing. I was like, well, what do you mean? It's I can explain it. And he's like, no, not the logic of it. He's like, I just feel like let me ask you a question. If this all went away, is this what you would sign up to go do? Like, would you basically like like take the example of the guy I was talking to? If you got if you weren't doing this job, is it would you just apply for this job here? No, you would go do something completely different. Like you're here because you got acquired and then you're here. And now fast forward three or four years later, you're still here doing the same job. But if I took this job away, you would never go to a job posting and apply for this job. And he's, and so he was explaining that he's like, you know, inertia is just a bitch. He's like, whatever you're an object in motion will stay in motion. Whatever you're doing, you're probably most likely you're doing it because you were already doing it. Not because you think it's the thing you actually should do in most cases. And so you got to be really aware of that. All right. Um, so what's yours? 
Oh, okay. So, uh, what, wait, what is the category even? What are we in? Your biggest L. Oh, my biggest L. Okay, I have one that's sort of like yours. I was chasing pennies in a dollar game. So, I recently moved, and uh, your boy rents. I'm a renter. And so, I moved from one rental to another uh, new house, and I was like, oh, I love this. I could just, like, move whenever I want. Don't have to worry about anything. Just call the movers. I broke my lease. I just moved. But um, my landlord came in and uh, first, you know, did a walkthrough of the place when I was there. You know, we talked about his, his, you know, his family, his history in this house, shook hands in the garage, said, you know, it's been nice having you. All right. See you later. You know, don't worry about all the stuff. Everything looks fine. Three <coughs> weeks later, he hits me with like a twenty or thirty thousand dollar bill. And um, he's twenty thousand. He gives me with an extra twenty thousand dollar bill on the move out for like, you know, scratches and like you know stuff like was he right no he was not right it was and he had he's a lawyer so he had baked into the lease that like hey anything that's associated with the move out is your cost like for example if i fly to california to observe the move out you have to pay for my flights my hotels my food my this my like there's a shit in there that was like not like i didn't damage the property it was just like extra stuff but he had put it in the lease i had signed the lease because like you know like andrew i don't really i I don't really read it. Or if I read it, I'm not going to really what are words. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, you know, I'm optimistic at the beginning of things. I'm like, this is going to go great. He's going to be a chill dude. Just like I would be, well, he's never going to hold me to any of these things. And like, sure enough, he held me to the letter of the law and every single thing. And so, he, so I decide to do something that we talked about on this, uh, on this podcast, I decide to take him to petty court. And so a lawyer, a guy who listens to the pod, who's a lawyer reaches out. He's like, yo, I heard about the landlord thing. I'm ready to fight to the death on this for free. And I was like, let's do this. And so in my head, I was like, I'm going to fight this 20 grand. Got this lawyer now. This guy, Troy, you know, he's a great dude. Um, got to know him a little bit through this process. But we try fighting back. We And the problem is I'm going against an 87-year-old retired lawyer who's got nothing but time on his hands. He This is probably the biggest thrill he's had in 37 years to fight and be and you know like look up every California statute and he sends me these packets of like forty seven documents he sends me CD ROMs full of photos of the property I'm I'm like dude I don't have a CD player to put this in what am I how am I supposed to see these photos and he's just sending me letter after letter and he's I took a guy to petty court who is like the king of petty court and in the end I end up paying the full amount just by saying f it and I'm like because I'm like dude I'm wasting my time I'm wasting this lawyer's time. I'm wasting this old guy's time, but he's got infinite time and uh, he is built for this. Whereas I should have just wrote this 20 K check and just moved on with my life five weeks ago. And I knew it because at night, right before I was going to sleep, I was, um, I was like, Oh shit. I didn't respond to that fucking subpoena. He sent me basically this like giant package of letters. I was like, okay, I'm going to call him. I'm going to say this, he's going to say that. And I was like imagining this whole debate in my head. I was like, dude, what a waste of mental space. And once I finally had that realization that I was playing a small boy game by losing my mental, like my mental space in my head that could be done, used on productive things in order to be in petty court. I wrote the check and I moved on with my life. Dude, I think it's worth fighting those things, by the way. No, no. It's 100, <laughs> dude. You, no. it's what, you, you just, going you just to gotta, war for the sake gotta, of war is worth it. I had the Sam no, on my no, shoulder no, no, and no, I had no, the no. Andrew on my shoulder and I listened to the Sam and I should have never listened to the Sam. I wasted four weeks of my life. That's like you're you're like a bull in a china shop and there's this tiny little fly buzzing on you and you just have to ignore it. There's a great quote on this that someone said to me once when I was going through something similar and the guy said, never wrestle a pig. You'll both get dirty, but the pig will enjoy it. 
Yeah, that, there's no that is point. Exactly, there's no perfect, yeah, but I'm the pig here. No, <laughs> I'm the pig here. <laughs> well, I, I had, Sean, I had the, you, you know my situation. Yeah. I, I had something like this go on this year, too. And I texted Andrew, I go, what do I do? And he said the same thing. He goes, don't wrestle with pigs or whatever this fucking biblical shit. And I bought into it. And it eats me. It eats me every night that someone that someone got someone. You, I got got you. There's what's the Charlie Munger calls it. Um, the rats in the granary, right? If you own a granary, you have a big warehouse full of grain. There's going to be rats. You can keep killing them over and over again, but they're going to always come back. And it's better to just accept that there's rats out there. Fab, you got well, rats in your granary, bro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, let's do the let's so do the stupid. Let's go to the next one. Okay, cool. Um all right, let's go to the next category. Let's do we're going to do breakout company, which is sort of the sexy one, and then let's do the unsexy business of the year. So we'll do we'll do both. First, let's do the uh the breakout company of the year. Uh Andrew, you want to go first? Yeah, I mean, this is so obvious, but I and I I came up with a few others, but I just I feel like this we're is both going to say the same have, obvious thing. Where everyone's going to say is the same thing. Open AI, <laughs> yeah. Open AI, GPT three is shocking. I think this is like a watershed moment, and uh, I there's nothing else. I've I haven't seen anything like this in probably ten years. Uh, I have two words for you guys that that will change your opinion. Yeah, liver king. <laughs> This guy called his shot, man. That's a true brain. You're going to tell me that, that dude, when you have Elon Musk and Sam Altman and $10 billion, that's not a breakout company. That's not a breakout. That's just, that's a company that they are who we thought they were. They did exactly what we thought they were going to do. That that doesn't count as a breakout. Wait, you're you know? saying you expected, you expected, like when I, I remember a friend of mine called me about a month before they released the chat and was like, oh my God, it's amazing. And I kind of rolled my eyes, you know, I didn't wasn't super excited about it, but I have not seen anything this crazy in a very long time. I mean, obviously Dolly and stuff is insane too, but the chat, it's just nuts. I've actually stopped using Google a lot of the time and started using the chat. Dude, well, look, they, you took the nerdiest of nerds, the smartest guys on earth, and you gave them $10 billion and you locked them in a room for six years. Yeah, but like, like if dude, you, they're, they're if, I was like, if it was, if it was, if it was 1945 and you're like, what's the breakout project of the year? And I'm like, it's the Manhattan project. And you're like, oh, well, they got billions of dollars and whatever. It's still fucking crazy. They made a nuclear bomb. It's crazy. <laughs> this is like a nuclear bomb moment. Um, it's just like my expectations. <laughs> they met my expectations. Like if this were <laughs> if this were like uh, if this was like a second grade report report card, it would definitely be like met expectations there would not be there would not <laughs> no be like uh, yeah there's this is not an exceed they, I, they, they met I, my expectations i kind of felt i kind of felt like it was a goofy project i was like oh you know google apple all these other people they're gonna do this for you know they have a huge incentive profit incentive these guys are going like non-profit when they first started and it's kind of like all about openness and whatever it's morphed into something that i didn't, didn't expect and i certainly didn't expect it to do as well as it did given all the star power. I think often think about like super groups, super groups are usually not that good. It was like a super group. Yeah. I mean, the Avengers worked out, but yeah, I feel you. I, I feel you. I mean, like in music. Uh, so Sam, your, your, your breakout person or company is liver King. Not, yeah, I call this shot. Not AI. 
<laughs> I mean, yeah, or Andrew Tate, but yeah, Go, one of those guys. If you want to know how he called a shot, we did an episode where we detailed the, the leaked emails from the Liver King where he's like, yo, I'm going to take a bunch of steroids, I'm going to build this brand, and then I'm going to sell like $100 million worth of products. That's what I'm going to do, and then he did it. So, Dude, that's so much more dope. <laughs> all right, let me merge the two. So, Sam, you like the call your shotness. Andrew, you're like, wow, open eye. <coughs> Sam Altman, you guys have done something magical. I'm going to give you a called shot that I think is kind of unbelievable, to be honest with you. Okay, so Paul Graham is going to win my award here for calling it the, the, the call your shot moment. So back in 2009, Paul Graham wrote a blog post. So this is now, what, like 13 years ago or something like that? Paul Graham writes a blog post. It's called, if you go to paulgram.com slash five founders, the number five in the founders. He, he says, Inc.com recently asked me who oh, the yeah. five most interesting founders are in the last 30 years. He goes, how do you decide who's interesting? I, I think it's influence. You know, who are the five who influenced me the most? Who do I use as examples when I'm talking to companies that I'm funding? Who do I find myself quoting a lot? And it's everybody you would expect. It's Steve Jobs is number one. He's got Larry and Sergey from Google. He's got like his buddy, but uh, Paul Buchheit, who... Uh, invented Gmail and also wrote the first prototype for AdSense and gave Google the mantra of don't be evil. Okay, everything's expected so far. And number five, he says, Sam Altman. And he goes, I was told I shouldn't mention... Who at, the t who at the time, by the way, was 22, I think, right? Yeah, exactly. At the time, he's probably 21 or 22 years old. And he was wearing... He was wearing double pop neon collars <laughs> with Steve Jobs. Exactly. Put, <laughs> Very embarrassing. Put up a photo of, of him doing this... Uh, uh, announcement at the at the Apple conference where he's wearing a double polo neon popped collar. Uh, it's it's really incredible. You wouldn't think that that guy's going to rule the world, but he, but but Paul Graham knew that he would. So he's here's what he wrote about Sam Altman back in 2009. He goes, I shouldn't mention a YC founder, um, but Sam Altman cannot be stopped by flimsy rules. If he wants to be on this list, he is going to be. Honestly, Sam is along with Steve Jobs, the founder I refer to most when I'm advising startups. On question of design, I ask, what would Steve do? But on a question of strategy or ambition, I ask, what would Sama do? Uh, what, when, what I learned meeting Sama is that the doctrine applies, the doctrine of the elect applies to startup. It applies in a way that, that it applies way less than most people think. Startup investing is not about picking winners you think might win a horse race because there are a few people with such force of will that they are going to get whatever they want. And now you fast forward 13 sentence. years. Yeah. The guy, you know, basically creates this, you know, what's going to be a, a multi, probably a multi hundred billion dollar company, OpenAI, and brings, you know, one of the most magical technical, like magical you know, technology experiences, which is if you're if you're using Dolly or, or GPT-3, he created. And he that. wasn't even that successful back then, by the way. I don't think he had. I think he I think he had sold a company, but he no, sold it I, I think, for sold, less than they raised. I don't think he sold it even at that point. So let me see when it was called looped. Yeah, it was looped. Um, and I think they made they sold it for about forty three million dollars. He sold it three years later. So this was he was at the beginning of looped. He sold it for forty three million. And uh, and I think and I, I remember reading about the sale. There was some there's some interesting stuff about how he uh, like they sold it for less than it. Then it was funded for, right? Which is like, you know, considered an L. Uh, but he but he sold it in a way that he was able to pocket a few million bucks. He then invested in Airbnb right away and was the first seed investor in Airbnb. He's got this like, you know, he went on kind of an epic run post that. Um, yeah, he's a crazy guy.
I think that's uh, that's got to be the breakout is I agree. Maybe Sam Altman this time can beat the liver king, but it's close. <laughs> we can all agree, you know, <laughs> tomato, tomato. The most impressive thing about liver king is he's not a good looking dude. Like so um, many of these guys you see and they're influencers and they're like super jacked and handsome. Dude, he's not a good looking. He's guy. my example. Of when I say I, I, I told Sahil Bloom this because Sahil Bloom is like the good looking version of me. I was like, hey, if I can't be good looking, I'm going to be interesting looking. And uh, that's what the Liver King did. He's not good looking, but he decided to be really fucking interesting looking. And that works just as well. Uh, I then we'll have to go with Sam Altman gets it this time. All right, let's do unsexy business. Um, Dude, I didn't even know what you meant by that. You go first. An unsexy business is like when we do our our blue uh, blue collar Billy of the Week. What do we call that shit? The blue collar side hustle. Uh, It's like a, a business that's not artificial intelligence or flying cars or whatever it's just like a boring unsexy business how are you confused by this this is like the premise of our podcast but i don't know all right well t- t- <laughs> what podcast uh so what's yours all right i'm gonna go with um i could go with uh egg cartons but i think i've kind of beat that one to death the eggcartons.com. if you haven't heard me rant about that go, go look up that episode that is honestly that is the most remarkable one this woman sarah moore but if not that, I'm going to go with one we haven't talked about that much on here. It's called Aunt Flow. Have you have you heard of this business? No. So what Aunt Flow? Are you saying the word ant? Like ant? I'm saying like the word ant. Flow? Yeah, Aunt Flow. Okay. <laughs> All right. You could say it your way. Sorry. I just wanted to make sure that this the it's the word that we're using. Okay. Yeah. So Aunt Flow. Aunt. So it. Aunt Flow is a business that is basically um it's period products. I don't know how I'm supposed to say this, but for uh it's period products. So basically you go to a public restroom inside of any university, a stadium, whatever in the women's restroom, they uh, should have. And then now in many States, they're mandating that you have to have, you know, tampons, pads, products for women. And so um, normally these were coming in a dusty raggedy container uh, with like really poor hygiene. You got to like open the thing and everyone's like trying to use toilet paper to like touch the thing to open it. And it's like really gross. I mean, this is like, you know, there's like literally like blood on these products. So it's, it's not, not like a very, it's not, not something that you want to touch. It's not a sexy experience. And what she did was she brought a sexy experience to a very unsexy industry. So if you go look at their dispensers, they basically made like the Tesla of, of dispensers and they install it on the wall. It's got this great brand. She's this great founder and they are just cleaning up. So they are getting contracts are with universities with what, and these are multi-year contracts. It's installed on the wall. This thing is never going to get changed. It's going to be no churn is my prediction. And it's sort of like they, they install the dispenser and then they, you have to buy the products as they, as they're used or as they run out. And, um, and she calls herself the CEO, the chief estrogen officer. She's just gone all in on like building this company as a woman led company. That's like making this one kind of crappy experience better. And I asked her, I was like, did you invest in this? Yeah. I was like, I've never been in, a woman's restroom before uh what's the current like who's the incumbent who who are you competing against and she's like literally it's a guy named like a brand called bob and rick and like bob and rick's dispensers are like the thing and you know it's this terrible experience and we're making it better and so they're at like you know they're definitely you know sort of like high seven figures uh uh run rate where they have all these great contracts and they you know they're they're the official dispenser for all the apple stores 
and for like, you know, the whole state of, you know, I don't know, Utah or whatever, some state that's like mandated this can happen. And I think once one state does it, all these states are going to do it. So I think they're very well positioned to take a very boring niche and build a pretty badass business. And she's a Teal fellow, only 25 years old. Yeah. Claire Coder, I think her name is. That's right. That's a good one. Do you have one, Andrew? Yeah. Okay. So um, hotels are constantly trying to save money, especially chains. And I don't know if you've ever gone to like a hotel chain. You'll notice that on the wall, if it's like a cheaper one, they'll have like dispensers for shampoo and soap and it's all refillable. Right. So the idea is like you used to go to a hotel and there'd be a bar of soap in a box and you open the bar of soap and you use it to clean your ass and then they have to throw it away. Right. So um, it's a huge waste. They're constantly throwing money away. And so hotels have moved to these refillable things. But one thing that um, they can't do is toilet paper. So when you go and there's a full roll of toilet paper and you use some of it, you know, no one wants to go into a hotel and be like, oh, what the heck? There's like a little bit of toilet paper left. There's obviously someone just here who used it. And so there's someone I just heard about this business. It hasn't launched yet, but I thought it was fascinating. Basically, it's a dispenser for toilet paper. So it's on it actually embeds in the wall and you basically pull out almost like you would Kleenex perfectly portioned um, toilet paper. And I don't think this would necessarily work at like a Four Seasons or a high-end place, but certainly for like a Marriott or a Hilton, I think they could save tons of money. So I thought that was just incredibly boring and uh, quite interesting. That's a great one. All right, that's a good one. There, there was one that got big doing that with uh, with the shampoo bottles back in the day. They would take the once-used shampoo bottle and they would recycle it, basically. And they, they were just mm-hmm. like, hey, hotel, we'll pay you nothing for it, but we'll come collect it for you. We'll just take it off your hands because you're just this is just trash for you. And they created a have business you, out of that. So have you guys invested in any boring businesses? Like I, you know, I gave Nick Huber a little bit of money. I think you did. I've Sam done Huber, well. yeah. What else, what other boring stuff have you guys done? Uh, I'm oh, in enduring. Stupid. So they buy, you know, a the lot same. of kind of boring businesses. But that's kind of tech. I mean, like, I mean, like brick and mortar. D- uh, d- development of real estate. Like. Townhomes. I feel like we, it's weird because I feel like half of what we talk about on this podcast is like these boring brick and mortar businesses. And yet we like, and we like fetishize them. But we don't own that many of them. Like, I've, do you I've own any of them? Look, yeah. I own a, uh, an air, uh, air ambulance business. Um, I, you know, I own a deli and bakery, bunch of kind of restaurants and that kind of stuff. Wait, what the, but oh, I want to get ambulance. Oh, like helicopter air ambulance. So if you're like in Mexico and you need to be brought home and you've, you've had a surgery or something, we facilitate that. Um, it's a very good business, but I really want more of those things. Have you guys ever thought about like starting like a fund around that or something? Cause I feel like Seems every like a lot tech of work. entrepreneur <laughs> who's <laughs> made money kind of like cash third world countries. Yeah. I like to visit. I don't really live there. We don't have to operate. You don't have to operate. It's just invest in all these cash flowing, boring businesses. I, 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 whenever people talk about that, I'm like, where do you find that? Like, <laughs> like you're going to eBay. Like, where do you, like, where do you find this air ambulance thing? You know what I mean? Yeah, it was like we had to, we met someone through a friend of a friend. It's always like someone's dad, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, his his dad wants to retire and the kids don't want the business or something like that. Or these things happen at the golf course. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, I, should never, be, I should be I should be doing that. I, I, I think I got like really tech brainwashed because I basically, I started a sushi restaurant. Then I moved to Australia and did like a biotech thing. But then I moved to Silicon Valley when I was 24. And I was like, basically, I just got like really deep in the Silicon Valley 
kind of ethos and game. And that was my, that's my network. And that's my, my skills were around internet companies. And so I think it was kind of the right move to go deep there and try to like win in that world. Um, Cause I think you don't have to win in all games. So like, you know, I have a fun to do startup investing. Like if I do good with, if I do great with startup investing, I'll do great. I don't really need to also do great with a very different style of investing. So I, I think I'm curious about it, but um, you know, do I want to like sort of restart the learning curve in a new way? But one, you know, you guys have this crazy advantage of, you know, I think your, your rolling fund does well because of the podcast, right? So if you guys go on and you say, Hey, who has a granddad or a father or a mother who owns this family business that wants to sell? I feel like you'd get mobbed. There's, yeah, there's well, something let's, there. Let's see. All know. right. Sean at seanpuri.com. All those leads can go to me then if you guys yeah, don't that, want them. Let's, let's see what comes in. I'll, I'll share all the interesting, I'll filter all the interesting ones uh, for you, Andrew. So Sean at seanpuri.com. Right. Email me your, your dad, your granddad, your uncle's business that we could either take like a minority stake or maybe he's looking to retire and sell. Let's see. Let's see what we got. Um, Okay, so those are the unsex- wait. I got your unsexy I gotta say mine. business, um, dude. You know, I I did a I I was reading about Coffeezilla going deep on Andrew Tate's thing. Do you guys know how Andrew Tate makes money? I do, but go ahead. He basically it. he has this. Well, okay, fine. You got that smug look on your face. Well, like, isn't it a sexy a business? It's like a cam girls business, right? Like it's the definition of a sexy business. No, no. The <laughs> real way University? that he makes money is. Yeah, he's got this fucking Discord that's $50 a month in order to like join. And there's like channels on like copywriting. It's basically just the same shit that you and I, Sean, have done, like screwing around. Except, do you know how big it is? It's like, like tens of thousands of members. Million. Yeah. No, no, no. No, no, no. Like a million members. Oh, wow. Like uh, we're talking nine figures in revenue. And CoffeeZilla like did it. He's like, look, here's all the members. If you multiply that by 50, and then you could even add a discount to it. It's like we're talking about a north of 100 million in revenue, and it's just a Discord with volunteer with volunteer community like chairs, like community leads, freaking crazy. And uh, I considered saying him wild. for breakout person, but I, you know, he's obviously pretty controversial, so I didn't want to like. I'm the breakout is I've never seen somebody go from nobody to everywhere, all the time in your face the way this guy has. Like he built a brand. It's crazy. In like seven months or something like that. Like, had you ever heard this word before Andrew Tate last year? Like, no, no. I think he was the most Googled person on earth this year. That's crazy to me. Is that crazy? And he says it. And when he, and he does his interviews, he goes, he goes, Mr. Beast has to spend $5 million and blow up, blow up a bus in order to get 10 million views. I said, I talk. just talk. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and it's true it's true the guy's way of speaking and the, the things he says are so compelling and then he built this viral engine where his all hustles university is is basically yo post cut cut up clips of tate everywhere and then go comment and basically in the comments revere me and that's how you know and then everybody who signs up for the university you're going to make money doing that like that's basically the core job is like go promote me um, it's crazy, it's man. It is crazy. It's a it multi-level marketing scheme just promoting him. He is the product. <laughs> it's wild. All right. So what's uh, what, do, do we vote on that one or just move to a different topic? Uh, yeah, vote. I forget the... Uh, the I don't remember. Let's just move on. Uh, <laughs> Andrew's toilet paper thing, let's say. Okay, let's do All best right. investment. So the best investment you made 
and, and then we're going to do worst investment also. So let's start with uh, let's start with best investment. Let's go, Sam. What was the best investment you made twenty twenty two financially? Fucking none. <laughs> this year was <laughs> in terms of money. This was uh, horrible. Uh, the two best uh, investments I made were getting fitness coaches, so a nutritionist and a, and a, and like a, a lifting coach, a fitness coach, and then also this pod. This is like the first time, Sean, this year where like, and this is actually one of my most proud moments where I've been walking around and I get noticed maybe one to three times a day. And this is the first time that I'm like, oh wow, Sean, the work that you and I have done over four or five hundred episodes, it's like properly paid off yeah so uh, that's this pot is this this year it felt is different it, has it ever has it ever been annoying or weird? yeah one time like it's there's been multiple times where sarah and i are, are having like a serious conversation or we're arguing or we're having like a, a contentious conversation and someone pops up and like you gotta like be like oh hey yeah hi hi and you gotta like turn it on and that kind of sucks. It's like, you know, like when you and your wife get in a fight, but then you got to get in the car together to go to like your friend's house for dinner and you got to put on like the performance of the century. That's kind of like how it feels sometimes. There's a, there's a, uh, what's her name from the Hunger Games? Jennifer, Lawrence. what's her name? Lawrence. She talked about how she can be nice to a thousand people, but if one time she's fighting with her boyfriend and she's kind of a bitch to somebody, they'll go on Reddit and post about it. And she feels like you basically always have to be that person. And it's only a matter of time until you snap knowing you, it's only a matter of time. <laughs> one time we were at, um, you know, we're, we're exploring the pregnancy thing this year. And one time we were at the baby, uh, baby doctors and someone in the waiting room said something to me. And, uh, <laughs> I was, I was, I didn't, I was rude. <laughs> I'll, I'll take your, I accept your apology there. <laughs> um, all right. I'll do a quick one. Okay. So best financial investment. I invested in this company called triple well. That's basically like a, uh, it's a tool for Shopify store owners. So it helps you like see your dashboard and uh, make sure your ads are working well. And they have like a bunch of different features. Uh, I invested in this thing. Cause I, I was like, Oh, I, I like this. I want to use this for my e-com store. Maybe I should just invest in it. Really didn't think this was going to be, I thought if I, if you, and I did this, by the way, I took my portfolio and I ranked like, what do I think are going to be the breakouts? And what do I think are least likely to be the breakouts? Cause I, I suspected I might be surprised. I was very surprised. So us, I think our $75,000 investment in triple whale is currently worth 3.3 million. And so uh, that's been the, the biggest breakout from the fund so far. And it's would have been one of the five that I did not guess would be, this explosive rocket ship. Cause like, that's just not how I thought about it back then. Like when I saw it, it looked like this cool analytics tool for e-com, you know, Shopify stores. I don't know how big that is. I don't know how fast it'll grow. It's been insane. So that's my financial one. And then I'll also say, um, we did camp MFM and that was an amazing investment. I'll tell you a little, little story about it. So we did this camp, 20, 30 people. We go to North Carolina and we fly in this MBA trainer. So we pay for his kind of him and his buddy, like their, their uh, flights and hotels or whatever. We rent these Airbnbs. We do the camp. It's great. Everybody chipped in, I think like a uh, thousand bucks or 1500 bucks. Two grand or something. Yeah. I, thought, I yeah. thought that would cover the cost. Didn't quite cover it. I think we're in the whole like 15 grand or something like that. No problem. Uh, amazing experience just for the basketball, the fun, meeting people, all that good stuff. But something kind of crazy happened. Um, we tweeted out that we were hanging with Mr. Beast or something like that, or that, uh, that maybe the pod we have, we recorded with Mr. Beast. And a guy saw that and started following Ben Levy. Ben Levy then checks out this guy's profile. Um, Oh, this guy's in the crypto space. DMs him. Oh, let's talk. You know, maybe they'll advertise with us. 
we end up getting an acquisition offer from this person. That's not the, the deal we ended up going with, but it gave us the leverage in the deal we did end up going with uh, and like opened this door into acquisition. And it's all like, if we had it tweeted out that thing that we were doing with Mr. Beast, I don't think this person would have followed. And then I don't think that conversation would have happened. And so the world works in these really funny ways where this like kind of amazing acquisition we had this year, I don't know. They could have just as easily not happened or been for a lot less had we not like just done this totally unrelated thing. That's good. Good things happen to good That's people. Great. Well. <laughs> All right, Andrew, what you got? Best investment. So mine, mine's actually an investment I made a couple of years ago, but it's taken a while to play out and it's very small, um, but I really like this one. So um, you guys know Sophia Amoroso. I think she's been on the podcast before. Um, I met Sophia like five or six years ago and she just had the experience with Nasty Gal. And she's like, I'm trying to figure out what to do next. I've written this book called Girl Boss and I've kind of built this community around it, this social following. I want to turn it into a business. And I said like, look, you know, I think you should bootstrap this, but she got mobbed with uh, VCs. And so it was easy money, great valuation, raised like 10 million bucks or something. And because she took VC money, she had this really wonderful business um, but she had to turn into a billion dollar thing. And this is girl and so boss. Suddenly this is girl boss. And so she, uh, you know, raised all this money and she's like, I'm going to build basically like LinkedIn slash like a social network for female entrepreneurs, um, to connect them, which we all know is like the world's biggest lift. It's like almost impossible to start a social network. And so she ended up running out of cash, getting exhausted. She sold it to um, attention capital. And they basically were just like, fuck, we don't know what to do about this. Like we, we shouldn't have bought this. And so they reached out to us and we were able to buy it for really, really cheap just because the business was totally distressed. Um, and so, you know, we looked at it and we were like, okay, like, let's just go back to basics. This business has almost 2 million social followers and email subscribers. Um, and we just did basic stuff. We built a daily email newsletter. Uh, we sold ads. We did social ads. We did affiliate. Uh, we've rebooted the podcast, brought on a great CEO. And it's just been this phenomenal base hit. And I just got an update from our CEO, uh, Lulu, who's like freaking amazing. And basically now the business is I won't say numbers, but it's making as much as we paid for it every year in profit. And I think it's probably five or 10 X more valuable than what we paid for it at least. Um, so I, I just love that kind of stuff where we're able to take a business that shouldn't have raised venture or, you know, kind of failed in venture land and actually make it a sustainable business. That'll be going for five or 10 years at least. That's crazy. Yeah. That's really cool. I like those. And I think there's going to be a bunch of those venture businesses that fail that's another one. If you're a venture business and you're not going to be able to raise the next round because the whole market has turned or whatever, uh, it's not over. And there's like a way to structure these deals. I think most founders just throw in the towel, don't know what to do with that asset. But uh, again, there's a lot, there's a lot of these businesses where you, let's say a business gets to five or $10 million of revenue and they're burning, you know, a million, 2 million a month because they're like venture backed or whatever. To the founder, you know, they're just like, okay, well, this is worth nothing. You know, let's go sell to Facebook and we'll take an aqua hire. And they actually will throw out their existing business. That business has value and people like us and Enduring will buy it and turn it around and make, you know, make it into something that'll actually make them proud. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it all is not yeah, lost. Enduring did that with UpCouncil. That's what that was the example. Yeah, they did. totally. Can we, um, we got to do worse. Let me pit. My worst one is uh, personal real estate. 
like I bought real estate over the last two years and I'm in, I'm, I've made money on, on all of it so far. And like, technically speaking, like it's all like going to beat the stock market. Well, that's easy because the stock market sucks. But like some of my investments, like my Airbnb, it's still like a 8% return or something like that. But it's just a fucking headache, dude. I regret buying real estate. I wish I didn't own any real estate and I wish I just invested in other people's funds. <laughs> yeah. That's my <laughs> worst investment. It just, it's caused me a disproportional amount of headache. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, all right, mine is uh, mine's really hard to choose. So many losers to choose from this year. So, uh, so people know my my portfolio is essentially tech stocks and crypto. Um, tech stocks down somewhere between forty and eighty five percent this year. Crypto down seventy five percent this year, or sometimes a hundred percent in certain cases. Uh, I think Luna has to be my pick because it went to zero. Um, and so that was just like, you know, a, a 100% loss that happened in like three days. So last year, this episode last year, here's here's Sean's company <laughs> to watch. Terra slash Luna. That was his answer I for company to watch. To watch. And it Amazing. sure did give you some entertainment. Yeah, you you watched it go down. And then his prediction was that the Winklevi twins, the, the Winklevoss twins are going to be richer than Zuckerberg. So but not in that, one year. Like, that, 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 that is a long-term prediction. <laughs> But you you bet on Luna, so so you're gonna uh, double down. This is the question: Are you gonna double down on your <laughs> Winklevi prediction? And what's the timeline? And what's the punishment if you lose? No, no, that, these are I wild. Been these are supposed to be crazy <laughs> predictions. These are not supposed to be things I think are going to happen. They're sort of like far fetched predictions. No, I don't. I don't want to double down on that. I would say that's way, looking way less likely now than it did then. Um, but you know, it's basically like I, Facebook stock got crushed a little bit this year too. I had calculated that I think I forgot what it is now, but I think Bitcoin would have needed to be at if Bitcoin got to two million dollars a coin, then the Winkle and, and Facebook had like you know, uh, you know, kept its value or something like that. Based on how much Bitcoin they owned, I thought okay, at that point they'll have surpassed uh, Zuck. Assume, but the hedge was always if Zuck owns any Bitcoin, then they can really never pass him. Um, you know, if he if he put a minority stake in, but I don't think. Zuck cares if the Winklevi are, are rich or not. Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's a concern of his. So what's, what's yours, Andrew? Um, so mine is really just venture in general. So we, I've been doing angel investing for 10 plus years, and I think I've done well um, on a cash basis. I've got a lot of money back, but I haven't actually, like if I think about it, um, even if I've made... 15 to 30% a year, I haven't had access to that cash the entire time. Whereas in my main business, when I buy a business and I make, you know, make 20 or 30% return, I'm actually getting that cash and I'm compounding it and then I'm investing it and doing more and more and more. And I think psychologically, there's a big difference between owning a whole bunch of businesses and doing $50 million in EBITDA versus, uh, owning a bunch of stakes that are illiquid in a bunch of venture businesses where maybe you'll get your money in 10 to 15 years. And so I don't think that it's necessarily saying I don't want to invest in venture go forward, but it's just been, I think it's been a bad, if I think of it as if my goal is to maximize my capital and feel rich, it's not the best way to do that. I think that I'm much better off incubating businesses and uh, buying businesses because it's a very, steady 15 to 30% cash return. And I feel it, I right. feel the win in a much bigger way. And I think that 
like anyone over the last two years, there's some businesses where I look at the valuation I invested at and I, I knew it at the time I sucked it up and was like, fuck, you know, this is just the world we're in. But there's some businesses with like now maybe like $4 million of revenue and they raised at like a hundred million dollar valuation. And I'm just like, okay, that's just gone. Yeah. Well, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Just we all just we all just said horrible things that we did this year. I don't just know. Deep breath. It's hard to just, just, just bask in the uh, in the in, in the L. Look at you know you gonna Let, you can't you can't have a, a non-error rate. You know, like you can't be an investor and not have a portfolio of bad investments of bad decisions. Right? Like that is that's not really a thing if you're going to do this uh, and you're going to take you know the appropriate amount of risk that would get a reward you can't have a 0% error rate. And so I, I don't think it's anything to be shy of. Also, you know, I think uh, a lot of people, you know, are, have portfolios that are down this year just by the nature of like what's going on in the, in the market. There's that, uh, there's that logic brain coming in to save you. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that, but that's like a, that's where the logic brain is actually like useful. All right. Like I learned this in poker too. Like you, oh, I, I had pocket aces and I lost. I literally know people that will fold pocket Queens or something like that in poker why? Because they're traumatized from the bad beat they got one time. And they're, oh, Jax, I hate Jax. Like, you, what do you mean? You hate pocket Jax? Why? Um, like, why don't you, you know, just because you got your money in good, but it turned out not the way you wanted. Like, you know, being able to assess the decision and not the result is so key. When, I, when I'm making fun of myself for, for FOMOing into investments, it's because I think my decision was bad. Sure, the result was bad, but my decision was bad. I have many investments where I think the decision is good and the result might be bad for a period of time. That's okay. Uh, but being able to separate the two is, is super important. I can't find this client info. Have you heard of HubSpot? HubSpot is a CRM platform, so it shares its data across every application. Every team can stay aligned. No out-of-sync spreadsheets or dueling databases. HubSpot, grow better. Um, Sam, what topic do you want to go to? Which category? Dude, I want to combine... Book of the year and favorite podcast or news pers- newsletter or person you subscribe to. So I want to like we'll do a few actionable things like best things that we um yeah like best bit, bits of content. Mine well, for favorite person I started favorite person is it's two. You already named one of them, Paul Graham, dude. Paul Graham is such a beautiful writer. I started reading all of his work again this year. He's such an awesome writer. He talks about money, living, happiness, raising a family. He's a really good writer. I love reading him. The other one is Cultural Tutor. Do you guys know who Cultural Tutor is on Twitter? Never heard of it. So it's this person um, who, I don't think they're crazy popular, but I'm going to give you an example of a thing that they tweeted. So it's called, it's called the, the Cultural Tutor, a beautiful education. That's their thing. And so they'll do like posts about like... Um, uh, I'll, 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 let me find a good one, but it, it's all about culture. So basically right now, uh, minimalism is a thing. So if you look at like a lot of new building, minimalism is a thing. And the cultural tutor will do this thread saying, uh, this is actually pretty lame about this architecture. It's pretty boring. Here's the ornate stuff that we used to do. And here's why we used to do it. And here's why we do minimalism now. And it makes you like question, uh, certain things that we're doing. Or another one could be, um, um, Here's like a famous uh, piece of art and it was actually revolutionary. Uh, and here's, or here's why Mona Lisa, here's why it looks like her eyes are following you. And this doesn't seem interesting now, but it was interesting because back then, here's how they used to do things. And here's what was actually revolutionary about that painting. Things like that. I love the cultural tutor. It's a really good follow. 
That's a good one. Um, you said you were going to combine that with Book of the Year? Book of the Year, Blitz. Have you ever read Blitz, Andrew? It's about the story of drug use during World War II. Frame-breaking book. I haven't read it, but it's... It, I mean, you, you've got meth and you've got Hitler. I mean, what could go wrong? <laughs> it's a frame-breaking book. Basically, the whole hypothesis was that during World War II, you know how like they gave soldiers like pieces of chocolate and cigarettes to keep them happy? Well, in, in Nazi Germany era, they gave them meth. And one of the one of the reasons it says Hitler was being crazy and making a lot of the decisions that he did, not only was he like a, a hateful, crazy person, but they're saying it was also because he was on meth the whole time and he was going nutty. And one of the reasons why he killed himself was he basically ran out of drugs in the last two weeks in his bunker. What do you got there, Sean? Is that Blitz right there? No, this is not Blitz. I'm looking at, at the book <laughs> I think I'm going to choose. But Andrew, go, go next. So my favorite podcast, I'm absolutely obsessed with Founders, which is by David Senra. And what he basically does is he reads business biographies um, and then he summarizes them really, really well. So there's a lot of, I've read a lot of business biographies. I really enjoy them, but there's a lot of them where I'm like, I just, I'm not going to spend 15 hours of my life learning about JFK's dad, right? There's this, there's, there's all these books on my bookshelf that taunt me. And so I read that um, book, he's a patriarch. Yeah, it's it's really, it's fat. It's, I read about a quarter of it. It was great. But, but um, he, he'll do like the one, one and a half hour summary. And so A, it's a great way to remind yourself. Like I, I read Titan a couple of years ago about John D. Rockefeller and I re-listened to it. It reminded me of a lot of the lessons. And then B, it'll actually tell me, do I want to read this book? Is this person actually interesting? Or just give me a cursory understanding of that person. Um, so I absolutely love that one. Um, in terms of books, um, the one that I loved over the last year is The Operator, which is about David Geffen. The guy is a absolute lunatic. It's fascinating. Like the picture of him, um, you know, why is he the way he is? Deep dive on and his David, childhood. David and Geffen started, Ge- Ge- he started Geffen Records. Geffen Records. I mean, this guy, this guy was like, um, he's touched so many industries, you know, huge musicians. But he's a movie guy film, too at this point. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah, fascinating career, but also an incredible investor, um, and capital allocator and stuff, but what a fascinating book. And it's one of those ones where it's very unflattering, but it's incredible. Okay. That's good. It's worth like five or $10 billion at this point. I mean, he's like a big deal. All right. I'll do, um, book. I'm going to have, I got two, two picks that I thought were good. Uh, I only read probably three or four books this year, but, uh, this one. So think on these things by Krishnamurti. That's like a, uh, life philosophy book that uh bro i love you said that was your favorite book one time and i asked you how far into the book you've read and you said you're on the first three pages yeah actually uh i'm only about 30 pages in now uh so i've gone from three to 30 in a year i think this might have been my pick last year too um this book is so heavy man it's got like uh uh, let me see how far dude it's not that's like 250 pages 110 pages in um so so i'm 110 (laughs) pages in and uh it's 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 an amazing book the second one is, uh, Andrew, you probably read this, Richer, Wiser, Happier. Mm, it's a, it's a great book for anybody who likes investing. Um, and basically, yeah, it's a great book for anybody who likes investing. I think it's a, it's a, it's a fun read. So uh, those are my two favorite books that I read this year. And then podcast, newsletter, or person, I'm going to give two kind of shout outs. A person one that's a little under the radar is called 10K Diver. Do you follow this guy on Twitter? So yeah, 10K good. Diver, the bio just, it, it's, it's the, literally it's the number 10, then K Diver. Uh, it says, I help people understand the fundamentals of finance and investing. 
And um, I think it's called 10K Diver because it's like the form 10K, like the, 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 that's like the, the name of the form or whatever. So uh, he just gives really great threads about like very basic fundamentals of finance. And I find myself reading these and thinking, oh, surely I know, you know, about whatever topic it is. Surely I know about stock-based compensation. Surely I know, you know, whatever, cash flow. And then you read it and you're like, I always learn something from it. And I think he's a great writer. He's very clear. He's very helpful. Um, I just think it's a great, great one to follow. It's like, you know, there's a lot of junk food on Twitter. And I would say that 10K Diver is not junk food. I even took his like Maven course. Um, but did you really? I, I only attended like half of the sessions just because like, you know, it's hard to make that much time. Um, super interesting dude. And, uh, and I, you know, I, I, I don't know. The course wasn't like mind breaking for me, but um, I don't know. It's it's all good stuff. It's all good stuff. And so I really I really liked uh, I really liked the way this guy thinks. Um, OK, so that's the the person one. And OK, book. So I did book. All right. We're good. We're good on those. We we all all three did ours. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. What uh, what topic you want to do next? Wild predictions. Okay. What you got? Mine's easy. I think. By the mine's way, easy. you want me to read so, your wild predictions from last year? Should I read our predictions? Yeah. All right. Our predictions from last year. Sam's was. Um, San Francisco is going to be cool again. Yeah. I think San I Francisco said. will be cool again. You think you hit that or no? No, but I don't think I'm, I, I, I'm, I early, think not I'm wrong. not off by prediction, <laughs> but I'm, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm a little early. It, it's going to come back, man. San Francisco, I went back there. It is awesome. San Francisco is awesome. Yeah. You said something about the YouTuber meet Kevin and that, uh, he will be like, you know, his company's going to break out or something like that. I don't know what that prediction was. Oh yeah. I totally was wrong. Uh, totally at was wrong. home diagnostics you said was the industry to watch. Yeah, nothing happened there. And then you said overrated the uh, creator economy slash Web three, nailed it. Yeah, I nailed that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, Andrew, your predictions were that high inf- high salary inflation is not here to stay. Companies are going to outsource and offshore um, talent. What do you think about that one? I still think it's right. I think that it just took. I think we're just seeing it now, basically, as these tech layoffs happen. I think they're going to go global. Right. Um, and then you said overrated. You said NFTs. Um, I think we, we I think we structured this differently last time. We did like companies to watch, overrated thing to watch. I said overrated was SPACs. I think that was right. Um, I said company to watch, Terra Luna. That was way wrong. And my crazy prediction was that the book of I will end up richer than Zuck, which is, you know, early, like we already talked about. Okay, so. This year, what do you got for a prediction or predictions for 2023? So we structured it differently, but let me say my mine too because they're fast. One, Elon Musk either dies or he <laughs> <He's> <laughs> or immortal. he gets canceled <laughs> or he gets canceled in an incredibly like serious way, and Tesla stock completely tanks. The second thing is so open open AI. Um, something involving regulation is going to happen because like there's already been little bits of pieces. Like if you Google or if you use open AI and you ask them about coal, they say like, you know, we think that uh, climate change is wrong, yada, yada, yada. Or if you ask them about, uh, uh, race, um, they say something like, you know, race is a social and cultural construct and the, you, we don't, we don't want to give it a, our opinion on this. Like they kind of like, but they actually do insert their opinion. Um, and I think that there's going to be some weird shit going on where like right now, like, like, for example, they'll like say like, Hey, we'll give you a hundred thousand dollars for 10% of your company. If you build on top of our 
platform and there's going to be all these new tools, but it's all going to be underlined with this like potential massive bias that OpenAI has. And I think there's got to be some type of regulation around it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Andrew, what you got? Predictions. And by the way, so, these are supposed to be, um, we, we said, we said wild predictions. So we're, again, we're not saying we're sure these are going to happen. These are like sort of interesting predictions. Yeah. So you remember like five years ago, everyone was saying Apple doesn't innovate anymore. They can't do AI. And what was happening is that Google, at least historically, has innovated in public. So they're constantly constantly releasing new features and showing off these kind of half-baked ideas that are in their R&D labs. Whereas Apple has always been very opaque. They'll work on something for seven years. They won't share it. And then all of a sudden, they'll release it. And I think that same thing is happening with GPT-3 and AI. I do believe that while right now I can say I'm using GPT-3 instead of Google, I think Google has probably been working on something similar for years and years and years and is probably very far ahead, um, maybe not ahead of GPT-3 necessarily, but that they have their own offering. Um, and so I just think it's a, uh, those, there, there's going to be a lot, of, uh, a lot of other players in that space coming out over the next probably three to six months. Um, and that it will be, there's going to be an ecosystem of offerings similar to AWS and Azure and Google Cloud. I think it'll be the same thing with GPT-3, Google, uh, maybe Microsoft. I don't know who else. Cool. Um, Sam, I agree with your Elon one. That's one of my predictions. I think he, he gets canceled in a big way or one of his companies goes broke. I think that is a, a, a good wild prediction. Um but I'm actually not going to predict. I think that, yeah, he, he, he's going to get me too I think. Yeah, I feel like he already has and somehow. Didn't he already? I mean, he already did. I mean, he, yeah. Kind of. I think he's uncancelable, kind of, given all this stuff. I think people think and that and then it's going to get the number of I think it's still going to happen. I think he's going to, can- they're going to cancel the uncancelable. Um, but I'm not really going to predict anything that's like the macro because A, who the hell knows and B, who the hell cares. I'm actually going to take a page out of. Uh, out of the book of uh, of something we respect highly here on MFM, calling your own shot. So my predictions are about myself. <laughs> so here's my okay. here's my predictions about, about myself. Uh, I predict that this is the year that I get ripped. Uh, I predict that I turn the corner, and it, and not like oh I get back in shape. No, your boy's never been in this kind of shape. So I, <laughs> I'm gonna get I'm gonna get ripped for the first time. And uh, I also believe that I'm going to start a company that is um, special. I don't want, I don't want to put a dollar amount because these special things take time. So it's not going to happen in one year, but I'm going to do, I'm going to start the thing that will be my kind of like um, the thing I'm known for, for a very long time, the legacy thing or the thing that, you know, builds the, the, the big, the big wealth, the big empire. I think it's going to happen this year. So those are my predictions Uh for myself for 2023. Well, I'm happy you called your shot. I actually agree with you. I think you're going to do that too. I, I think you're you're more than likely going to create that company than you are get ripped. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're just giving me that fuel. Dude. Thank you for the fuel. <laughs> are you willing to take drugs to get ripped? No, I'm all natty. So I'm you're not unwilling like the, to take drugs, not like the Liver King. Uh. Okay. Well then, yeah, then I think that you're, well, dude, getting ripped is hard, man. I'm, I'm pretty ripped right now. And everyone keeps asking me what I did. And you know what I did? I just didn't eat. (laughs) And it's really, really a pain in the butt. I don't really like doing it. And so I don't know, like, I don't think you need to be that ripped. What's your definition of ripped, I guess? Visible abs. (sighs) 
Yeah, you got to get to what is it? Twelve percent body fat. Twelve percent. It's not. It, it, you can be. You can live a good life and be at twelve percent. But below ten, where I am trying to get, it, it, it sucks. I'm just hungry and cold. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. But uh, it'll be it'll be <laughs> visible. All right. Um, let's do another one. Uh, coolest moment of the year for you. What was the coolest moment of the year, uh, personally, that you had? Dude, mine is like it kind of felt like we crossed a chasm for like kind of like this podcast being well known and like that's a little. I didn't want to do a selfish one. Honestly, I almost said fan. you selling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, I almost I wanted to say you selling the Milk Road. I actually did think that was cool. Um, uh, the, the, seeing you do that, I got a lot of joy out of, and a lot of like, even though I wasn't involved, it was like I felt a sense of pride of like well, we came. You were up like together. the key advisor, so you know you were involved. Yeah, so feel free to send me some money. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, no, I think like us getting popular this year, like it, it really felt like this is the first time it happened. I agree. Uh, it, it, something has changed. Uh, Andrew, what about you? Coolest moment of the year for you? So I've talked about this before, but I feel like what I actually, if I really am honest, what I like about business, aside from making money and not making my life easier, <laughs> is meeting interesting people. And, uh, you know, I, I got to know uh, Andrew Huberman this year and we ended up partnering. So basically, like, I've got a foundation. I've been giving a bunch of money away to science. And so I met Huberman maybe is that who you wrote the check know, a year to? or two ago. Just, you wrote the check to science? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just science. <laughs> but but um, I met Huberman like a year or two ago. And basically we did this thing where when people subscribe to his premium podcast, a bunch of the money goes to um, basically funding science and research that he wants to fund. And I basically said, look, I'll double, I'll double every single dollar that you donate. And so we've got this partnership and I just love that kind of stuff where Bro, would you, I can work would you with someone who I respect and do something that I think is good. That's a, that's a cool moment. You're, you've become a benefactor. What's, what's, what do you mean? Like a patron yeah, of exactly. science? You get to use one of these words that's like yeah. from the 1800s when you do things sure. like that. Yeah, it feels good. It's fun. <laughs> Dude, and, and, and plus you have an excuse now to hang out with the dreamiest guy on earth, Andrew Huberman. Yeah, totally. Make Sam jealous anytime you want. Um, for sure. All right. My coolest moment of the year was you were there for this, Sam, when we were at camp MFM and we got to go do a tour of, uh, of Duke's, uh, basketball stadium and we're in there and then we, uh, were sitting down, gave, they gave us the talk. It was an, it was a good experience at that point, but we, we had a, there was a moment that made it a good experience to a, like a, a keystone memory, which was when I bet Mr. Beast, $10,000 that I could hit a, a shot from half court and I hit it <laughs> and the whole thing on number on number five or something. Yeah. yeah like the third, third five. attempt hit. I was like, I'll, be, I'll again hit this before you. The third attempt I hit it. It's on camera. It was, it was an amazing fun moment. It, it made that, that trip a little bit more, more special and memorable. Did he ever pay you? But this is where it comes this is where it gets interesting. It's also actually my biggest L of the year because he didn't pay me. And then I had to follow up. And I followed up two oh. times, three times. And now I'm basically begging for the money <laughs> by the third time you go from like first time you kind of crack it. You, you're busting balls a little bit like, hey, bitch, pay me. And then the second time you're like, hey, man, uh, didn't pay. By the time it's the third one. Now, this awesome dope moment has turned into an L. <laughs> because now I'm having to go. Yeah, I think I think I think you need to take him to small yeah, claims. Exactly. Court. That's how I'm, I'm doing that via iMessage, and I was like, 
We oh, have it on man, video. This is... We have the bet on. We, we, dude, we have the bet on video. <laughs> I know, I know. And so this 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 baller moment of confidence of being like, "Hey, bet you ten grand I can hit this shot," and then actually hitting it uh, with you know everybody there in the center of you know Cameron Cameron Stadium, Cameron Indoor Stadium, turned into a bit of a, a small boy moment of being like, "Hey, hey, um, hey, did you have a chance to? Hey, just I know you're busy. Just uh, do you think you can?" <laughs> I, I'll send the details again. Maybe maybe it's on my end. <laughs> Dude, is he lying about every other uh, donation he's ever I don't done? Coffeezilla, get on it. Are, are there thousands of victims like me? <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. I can't believe he didn't pay you. He doesn't seem like someone who would. He do blamed that. his assistant. He's like, oh, fuck. Sorry, my assistant. Did, you know, I'm gonna uh, I'm Ooh. gonna have to yell at him. Yeah, oh, right. Like, okay. Let's do um let's do the craziest most delusional person of the year that we met. <laughs> this one's for for us it's probably easy. It's Billy McFarlane. Did you hear that? Oh, yeah. Did you hear that interview, Sean <laughs> or uh Andrew? No. I did I didn't hear. It. I don't like when you guys interview people like that cuz I I know I know it's like interesting and stuff, but I feel like if you if only, even if only 5% of people hear that and go, "Hey, he actually sounds like a good guy." I just think like He's gonna go and fuck more people over. I don't know. What do you guys think? I I didn't. And I, to Sean be fair, Andrew I punishes listen, us I will when listen. we do those bad things. He goes and listens to All In <laughs> instead. <laughs> he doesn't listen to the episode. He goes on strike. Sean wholeheartedly disagrees with you. I think. Yeah, I totally disagree. Right? I think uh, you know this podcast is our vehicle to have conversations with interesting people, and everybody's an adult. They should judge for themselves whether they think this person's full of shit or deserves a second chance or whatever. On the pod itself, he told us what he was doing, and literally. With a one pause, I just go, that's a horrible idea. And I, I actually felt bad that I was that brutal about it. Uh, but it really was, I thought, a horrible idea. And I felt the need to just, like, say it. So um, I think it's one thing if you invite them on and they just, like, like, I see this sometimes. People just, like, suck up to people. And the other is to be like, dude, what the hell were you thinking? Or they're like, oh, you know, I just thought this. Like, are you serious? Like, really? You Like, are you going to look at me with a straight face and say, that this was all just an honest mistake, like you had to have known, right? So I think as long as you are real with your questions, uh, then it's all good. But that's my, you know, it's my opinion. I just think I just think it's like um, it's giving airtime to people that are bad, right? Like I would say Billy McFarlane is probably a psychopath, bro, right? But the and Bernie Madoff obviously, documentary on Netflix like, coming out in three days. Are you going to watch that? Bernie Madoff is dead. <laughs> that's so the what? There were, there's been Bernie documentaries. If I if you had if you had Bernie Madoff on your podcast and you were like, hey, so like what happened? Tell us your story. And even if you kind of call him out, if he's like a like a, a real psychopath is like pretty charming and like believable and you listen to them and there's going to be a percentage of people that hear that. And the difference with Madoff is he's in jail. Right. The then like Billy McFarlane. Sure, and again, I have no idea, you know. He, he served his time, sure, but like he's probably going to go on and do more sketchy shit or I don't know. Any of these people who have a pattern of behavior of doing psychopathic, fraudulent stuff, I just don't think they should get any airtime, frankly. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I think there's a lot of people who would agree with you. Uh, I don't personally, but M most most probably do. But I actually uh, I'm I'm partially on Sean's side. I am mostly on Sean's side, but I I do feel guilt sometimes. Like there's another person who Sean wants to have on that I think there's not a chance we should. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but so imagine here's here's how I would tell you to think about this. Like 
imagine that you, so, you know, Sam, you've told me stories of guys who, I remember you told me there was some advertiser who is fucking you over and not paying you. And you felt very cheated. And Sean, I mean, that guy that you sued, who you felt like was chiseling you, the landlord or whatever. Now, let's say I have a podcast and I say, well, there's two sides to every story. And he's fascinating. I'm going to go have that guy on my podcast. As the victim, you'd be like, what the fuck? I, like, but I, would, I, I want you airtime, to ask that right? question. Yeah. I would say ask that question. As long as you actually ask the questions yeah. and you, uh, you're you not just giving them a, like, a chance to lie or say BS in a way that's like, it's obviously BS, but you let them skate on it. Um, like that's what happened with like Sam Bankman Fried. Yeah, but look at, look at Ty Lopez. Look at Ty Lopez. Ty Lopez got legitimized by being on MFM. A lot of people heard him and went, you know what? He's not a bad guy. And you know, Sam kind of likes him and whatever. And like, what has he been doing over the last? Wait, wait, wait. What what did I do? I didn't do anything wrong to that. You you said you were were like, yeah, I met (laughs) him. I met him in a hotel and he was actually a really nice guy. Right. And it's like, of course he is. He's a psycho and he's charming. I like everyone. I, I like just everyone. respect the audience and meaning I believe that it, you should have the opportunity to hear it and make your own decision. I don't pretend that I'm your parent and I'm legitimizing them or I'm telling you they're good or bad or whatever. I'm just letting you see them. And if you see them and you decide that they're great, great. If you decide that we didn't ask tough questions and you can't make a decision. But Andrew, great. you promote uh, you promote Bill Ackman. <laughs> Sure. Like I absolutely do. He's my business partner. And I'm not saying I actually don't know all the details. <laughs> How could of you him put and, him in the and, same and category? I'm, well, a, a lot of I'm not saying I do, but a lot of people do, don't they, Andrew? Like that's objective. You could actually you could at least say that a, like a lot of people do think that he's. Uh, what did uh, Bill Ackman do that's on on considered controversial? Well, like yeah, that? what did he do exactly that would be like fraudulent or something like uh, that? I mean, what, what, Bill, wait, Bill guy, has made some investments that have turned out badly, but he's never. I don't think he's predatory yeah, he, in any way. I think Bill is I a great think investor. The biggest criticism I've seen that's you know legitimate is when he went on What's TV the MLM? and he was like, "I uh, the market, whole market's." Cr-. He basically was like, "Hell is coming," blah blah blah, but didn't disclose that he had basically a giant short position. Yeah, you but know, maybe caused a panic. Maybe he, didn't. No, but he he had already. If you actually look, he he wrote a letter about this. He'd already sold almost his entire position. He had like one or two percent left. And I spoke to Bill two weeks before that. And he was freaking the fuck out. Like similar no, to that. He, CNBC he didn't disclose call. that he was, he was in a freaking position to benefit out. greatly. If people started selling, right. He, he, he had a giant. No, short, no, right? he That's wasn't. How he made a bunch of money. He wasn't. No, 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 That I think it's a big misunderstanding. If you actually look at the timeline, he'd already sold out of that position uh, when he but, went on CNBC. What about um, Herbalife? Oh, he was, he was lot, betting against Herbalife. Of, he was calling Herba, Herbalife. Herbalife, I mean, Herb, Her, Herbalife, he went out and he said, this is a multi-level marketing yeah. scheme. And what ended up happening is the FTC investigated it and they gave them a $200 million fine. And they got up to the point of saying, hey, is this an ML? They settled with them for like 200 million. It was the largest uh, FTC fine ever. And Herbalife, the FTC commissioner was asked, is Herbalife a multi-level marketing pyramid scheme? And she said, it's not, not one, right? Because she was legally bound by not calling it that. So basically Bill was right. And that was an instance where he lost a shitload of money trying to fight a bad guy. (laughs) <laughs> Did that really happen? I, Look, I gotta yeah, find that clip. By the way, I, I'm not saying Bill Ackman sucks. I think I'm. I'm. A, I like Bill. Ackman. But you're not. I, I, not you know saying him. It. I, no, that's not. That's not what I'm implying. I'm. I'm saying that some people maybe think that he's full of it, right? 
I, I think, yes, absolutely. There's people that are critical. I think there's a great quote on this. I'm not uh, saying is he is. The tallest, the tallest blade of grass is the first to get cut. And I think Bill is very loud and he is always confident and he's usually right, but not always. And so someone like that, I think when they're not right, everyone loves to shit all over them. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that. I don't I, think I, he's I like in the Bill. category I, where he's got like, you know, I don't know of any accusations about stuff like that. I think some people are just like, he's not as good. He loses money. He's not as good of an investor as he says, or his, his fame would lead you to believe that's a criticism, but that's like, that's like merit. That's like criticizing someone's skill. LeBron James is not as good as Michael Jordan or whatever. Right. Like that's different than saying somebody is, you know, a I think con it's artist. like, it's like fixating on Warren Buffett buying Dexter shoe and it not working out and then saying, or, you know, Warren Buffett did some deals in his early career where he bought a business and he ended up having to lay a lot of people off. Right. Now you could build a narrative that, well, Warren, but everyone says Warren Buffett's so great, but what about this? And what about this? But if you look at it and there's a hundred investments and 10 of them didn't go well, you know, you can fixate on the 10, but you can look at the long-term performance bills compounded at 20 plus percent, I think 25% or something crazy. Uh, maybe not quite that, but something exceptional. So again, like he's my business partner. Obviously, I'll defend him. I'm not. Uh, um, by the way, but yeah, I, I, be I don't clear. think he's anywhere near those guys. I'm not That's saying. Crazy. I'm not saying I think he sucks. I actually like him a lot from what I read about him. I, I'm just saying my point being is a lot of people, a lot of awesome people have haters, and just because you have a lot of haters doesn't necessarily mean I don't think you should. We shouldn't have you on. That's my whole point. But imagine, okay, you guys have a newspaper. Right. Effectively, you guys own the New York Times of tech startup bros. Right. Like that. That's what that's what MFM is. You guys have this huge audience. You on that. Would it be ethical for the editor, <laughs> editor of The New York Times to put an op ed from Bernie Madoff on the front cover? Right. It's not an op ed. It's an interview. It's, it's a big, big difference. Again, I hear I totally I totally agree. I hear you guys. I know you want to like stir the pot and it's good. Good listening. I just. For me, like I just hate when these weasels get airtime. Okay, let's get back. They'd- yeah, let's let's move on. All right, Andrew, who's the most delusional person you met this year? <laughs> so, okay, so it's a delusional person who I think is amazing. Um, you guys probably will say the same person. It's Brian Johnson. Uh, yeah. I met Brian almost a year ago, and I remember sitting down with him and looking, just looking at him. He's like a translucent, glowing twilight vampire. <laughs> like he just looks, if you cut his arm off, there's circuits under there. I, I, and he's so incredibly well-spoken and like, like you, Sam, I think you said he's like the, the Elon, but like behind the scenes yeah. and quiet, right? He's special. So I think he's amazing. Uh, I think he's like, He's like dedicating his life to basically being a test, uh, you know, a test case for the rest of us. So I really admire him. Uh, and I think he's really How did he look in person? Did he look uh, on our <laughs> pot? He almost looked he almost looked a little ill. Like he was so skinny. Yeah. Uh, he was so pale that there was no pigment in his skin. Like literally, like literally looked like um, <coughs> what's that movie uh, with the fuck? What is it? Uh the, the robot guy, alien, alien with the robot guy, like just totally pale humanoid. That's a, that's my pick too. Uh, Brian Johnson for the, for the exact same reason. So we'll, we'll, we'll move to the next one. Uh, he was, he was, you're right. Crazy and delusional in the best way possible. Um, yeah. As a, I mean that as a compliment. Um, okay. Did you guys have another category that you really like your answer for? Does anybody like, think they got something good? Cause we can just go to those. The, the relationship hacks and the um, right, let's do relationship tool. hack. What you got? So um, they always say like the best first date is 
an adrenaline kind of event, right? So like you want to go on a hike, you want to get your heart pounding. Maybe you go and do like a ropes, you know, those, uh, what are they called? The like rope swings through the forest, whatever, like something that gets your heart pounding because when someone associates you with a peak experience, like a physical feeling of peak experience, that's very positive and it bonds you. And the same thing is true with alcohol. So I, I kind of stopped drinking, um, maybe like seven or eight years ago. And I've kind of mourned the ability to go and, you know, down a pint with someone because they always end up telling you everything. They tell you about their business and the problems they're having and, you know, what's going on with their wife. It's like hanging out once drunk is like hanging out 10 times sober. And so what I've been doing is I've been inviting people that I would otherwise have like a meeting with over to my house and we'll do a really long sauna and a cold plunge. And I've been finding like, I just feel so incredibly bonded to people because I'm having my, my body is pumped full of all these endogenous drugs. Uh, and it's been really good. It's been kind of like drinking with someone. Dude, can I tell you what mine was? Here's, I'm going to read, let me word, read, read it word for word. Invite people, have them come over for dinner and cook for them. And we take ice baths together. (laughs) After dinner, before dinner, what are you doing? Before, do you, do you dude, tell them like the bring best, some trunks the, or what, how, how do you prepare? You just spray yeah. it on them, or or sometimes sometimes I just spray it on them, and I have a towel already, and I have shorts, and, and it's so funny that that's exactly what mine is. Another relationship hack that I have is I bring my wife to almost everything, so so it feels like a family gathering, and also she's like like hot and like well like well read <laughs> and like can have a discussion, so it automatically makes me seem better. Oh, um, you're the guy with the hot and, book smart wife. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, uh, yeah. So Andrew, we, I had the same thing. Another thing that I, that I typically don't do. And I, and I think this is the worst way to hang out is while exercising. I hate when people say, let's go get a workout together. I'm like, I don't want to, I never want to do that ever. I will never do a workout and hang out. Yeah. I want silence. Same. I'm the opposite. I love, love a workout together. That's a great, that's a great idea. I've had multiple pe- listeners from the pod be like, Hey, I'm in town. Uh, when's your workout? Like, I'll just come swing by and we'll just do it together. And I was like, oh, that's perfect. I don't want to separately meet you. And uh, I'll learn so much about you just seeing how you work out that this is uh, like how you deal with like, you know, adversity, like, you know, how you're, how are you as a hang? You know, do you work out? Like all these things. It's a, it's a great tell. All right. I got two little hacks. The first is a principle that I've had for a long time. It's called don't attend the party, host the party. This is my, um, I have a rule. I don't, attend other people's events typically unless it's a real good friend who really wants me to but i will host so um i think hosting is it is let's say five times the work but i think it's 500 times the payoff uh when you actually host the the, the event so we uh, camp mfm is a perfect example of this uh and when you host it um the other the other hack in this is make it epic because it's going to be more fun for you to it's like all the logistical work is kind of the same, but if you just use your creativity to make it more interesting, people will come and they'll have like a whole memory to, you know, a whole experience uh, with you. So with Camp MFM, the way we did it, where we flew to this place, we had that basketball trainer, Mr. Beast and Hassan Minaj were there, like interesting people were there. We all stayed in, you know, an Airbnb, a giant house together. Like that was a, instead of just doing a networking event, we made it fun. And we made it different. And I think and you get a bunch of benefits of being the one who hosted it. So that's the first one. The second one, I would say the actual relationship hack with, with my wife is. So I'm a pretty chill dude, but I do. I do have one Achilles heel, which is I'm very, very, very impatient. 
And what that means is like, you know, my wife is like slow to leave the house, trying to go somewhere. It's like, oh, dude, why did this take? So I feel like I've wasted half my life waiting to leave the house. Um, you know, just with kids, it gets like really slow. So I've always had this impatience thing and I've tried to be like, all right, I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be more patient. And I realized that that was actually a fool's errand, that the way to be more patient for me is to get in a fight in the morning. And what I started doing was <laughs> I hired this MMA trainer and I would wake up early. I do my workout in the morning and I would spar. And what I found was that if I spar in the morning, I've gotten a really hard, strenuous, like endorphin kick, you know, done. The rest of the day, I'm just sort of like, you know, it's whatever. Like I, I can wait. Yeah. Oh, you're going to take, take an extra 10 minutes. Oh, uh, you want to change your shirt? Cause maybe this one's a little, maybe it's a little too hot. I like, Go ahead. Go change your shirt. Yeah, no problem. I'll be here at the front door chilling. And I have become such a more patient person just by doing a sparring session in the morning. It's a pretty extreme step to take, but it is so far the only thing that has gotten me to change this like really terrible personality trait after so long. Nothing like getting punched in the face. I was, I, I think I told you that. You did tell me that. And right. the other experience I had like this was I went skydiving once in the morning and the rest of the day, you couldn't stress me out if you tried. I was, in, I was uh, completely immune to stress. And so I think there's something to this, like having a very exhilarating or adrenaline kick in the morning. It just makes the rest of the day completely non-stressful. That doesn't mean you don't do anything. It just means you don't stress was, while we, you do it. We were talking about the cold plunges and um, I was just listening to a Huberman lab and he was talking about this exact thing. So when you're in cold, it obviously stresses your body. You get a huge dopamine spike and you get uh, adrenaline or epinephrine all that kind of stuff. And he was saying that if you do stressful things while you're in the cold plunge, it adapts you to dealing with stress better. So you should definitely get a cold plunge and then argue with your wife while you're in it or something. <laughs> Sounds smart. <laughs> Uh, so that's best relationship pack. What's the, what was the other one you said? Uh, oh, favorite tool or product, product. under what it, it's favorite uh, tool or product under a thousand dollars. What you guys got. So I always have this problem. Um, I'll travel to a city and I'll try and think of, you know, I'll be like, okay, I'm going to New York on this day. Who do I know in New York? And it'll be whoever's top of mind, whoever I've just been texting with or something. And I'll go and I'll have a couple of meetings and then I'll leave and then I'll remember, you know, it's like when you leave the grocery store and you realize there's like three or four important things you forgot. I always realize, oh shit, I forgot to meet all these people I really wanted to see. And so um, I've tried a couple different tools for this, but I found one I really liked. It's this one called Clay. It's a personal CRM, which we all hate. I know it's like a horrible business, but um, they do a really good job of basically tapping into your Twitter, your LinkedIn, your iMessage, all the your email, all the places where you contact people. And this is uh, and building clay a huge dot earth. Clay dot earth. Yeah. And so basically it's a huge database of all the people you know. And so what I do now is I go in clay and I'll just be like, I'll type in New York and it'll show me everyone in New York. And then I don't miss people. Uh, and that's been huge. This is a beautiful website. Yeah, it's I really downloaded nice. the it's app. Really well I tried it. I turned right away because I was just like, uh, same problem with all CRMs for me, where like you get out what you put in, and I was just not willing to put it put in enough. But there's no, I don't use it. Like I don't use, I don't update it. It's just when I go traveling. It's just a database of people I know and where they live. Can I? Uh, mine is my body tutor, and I don't know if Sean that if that's yours as well. But have you heard about my body tutor, Andrew? No. Very simple. All right. Here's what it is. I spent $600 a month and every day, my coach, her name's Heather, 
calls me and says, what are you going to eat today? And I tell her, and she says, yesterday, according to your MyFitnessPal, you ate this, this, and this. This thing was bad. How'd that make you feel? And I say, I feel horrible. I'm not going to do it again today. And she just shames me or educates me on why I made a good or bad decision. And we like work backwards from whichever goal I want. It's, it's a five-minute phone call. Uh, that's been the, bit, the best tool I've ever used. That's I a good that. one. That's all it is. I, um, so I'm a pretty disorganized guy. So my favorite tools or products have been the one that helped me get organized. And I got two that kind of saved my ass this year. Um, I don't know, Sam, did you, when you were at the hustle, did you ever have like a bookkeeper? Yes. And do you remember life before a bookkeeper and a life after bookkeeper? Before it's stressful. And like, now I know that like I didn't know what the difference between revenue and cash flow was and I didn't like understand like that like you take expenses and you like um, amortize them. I didn't understand all of that stuff. So it was as if I was driving at nighttime without headlights on. <laughs> That's the perfect way to describe it. That's how I've been my whole life. And I would always wonder, man, how do these other people have their shit together? How is it, you know, tax season comes around. I- I'm just like scrambling and it's like the worst version of cramming for a test. And so this year, I basically totally revamped my financial like hygiene game with a bookkeeper and a tax person that I love. And I'm going to shout them both out because they're amazing. Uh, they were they were so amazing. I did invest in both of the companies because I was like, I have to like, you know, th- I, I believe in this, uh, you know, because they saved my ass. So one is called Kick. So I think it's kick.co is the URL. And it's basically, if you go to the website, I like their tagline. It says self-driving bookkeeping. So basically what they do is they just say, connect your bank, your credit cards. And it's like everything. It's like your Amazon. You just click connect, 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 connect. Boom. It's all your books. And then they have a bookkeeper and she calls me and she's like, here's how you're doing. Like, here's how you're pacing. Here's what, you know, here's some things you should be thinking about. Here's how we can save you money. Um, You know, blah, blah, blah. And not like, not like spend less, but more like tax wise. Like here's some things that you could do. And so bookkeeping was the first one huh. uh and then how much is this? all my books are together it's super cheap it's like i don't know it's like 99 dollars or 100 dollars, 199 dollars a month or something like that it's like if anybody if you're a creator like the one big thing is they they do this for like kind of like small small businesses like sort of like llc types s corps or um creators so like if you're a youtuber or a twitch creator or a podcaster uh most of them have don't treat their creator business like a business and you totally should. Right. It is a business. And I think also the law has now changed. So starting next year, I think they have to do like the quarterly estimated taxes and things like that. Like, dude, 99% of the creators have no idea what this stuff is or how to do it. And so um, so I love this thing. This has been like kind of uh, a game changer for me out of having my, my P&L, my cash flow, my balance sheet, all of it just like very clean. And then, then that gets handed to the other service, Gelt. And so what Gelt does is kind of amazing. I don't know how much of this I'm, I'm supposed to say or allowed to say. I don't even think they want me shouting it out because it's like, dude, I just signed up. List only. I, I just signed up. To, I just signed up with Gelt. Uh, are you on the wait list? Or are you, you actually started using it? I DM'd him and I have a call set up with the, so guy. the guy. Tal is this incredible guy. He's an entrepreneur. So for the best thing. So I've, I've met many. I've had many like kind of accountants and tax strategy people. And I literally walked in and I felt like I was walking into a meeting like you know, with CIA or something like that with IRS. It's like, and, and Nick Huber said this, right? He goes, yeah, dude, 95% of accountants and tax strategy people, 
they're like they act like government agents and he's like you can't even he's like you're just asking questions like how should i structure this differently in order to and they can't answer it's, it. it's like they, they won't well, it depends they're, they're like un, they're not creative first of all so they're not even giving you ideas it's like if you have the idea they can say yes or no but it's like dude where am i supposed to come up with all these ideas from uh so like they don't give you ideas first of all and secondly they're like well did you spend more than 22 hours doing this it's like dude i don't know i, I wasn't keeping track of that but like if I say yes, what happens? If I say no, what happens? I need to understand, like, could you just disarm this? It's not even like, help me cheat. It's like, literally just don't make this stressful has been my, my big problem with this. And so guilt is kind of amazing because Tal is an, he's a founder. He's an entrepreneur. He sold his last company. And he's like, dude, I just like, he's like, personally, I just hated taxes. And so I decided to create like the tax firm I wish existed. And they're amazing. So the same thing, they take your books. And then what they do is they're more like, yo, have you thought about structuring your corporations in this way? Because then you can get the advantage of QSBS while still maintaining this advantage. And like they, they do everything clean. They do everything by the book, but they are, they feel more like your friend helping you do this than the other way. And so these guys probably save me. I don't know. I don't know how much they save me, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was seven figures of what I've saved using this thing. Um, and it's the first time I've been not stressed on the subject of, like bookkeeping and taxes. And so like that has been like a, a very nice feeling for me to have versus like this scramble and always feeling like there was some adult class that I missed. I slept through and now here's the test. Like that's how, that's how taxes always felt for me. It was, I slept through the class and everybody else took it. Everybody else is prepared and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. And now finally I feel like, okay, I, I have my notes to take this test. Dude, I just feel like it's one of the one of those things that's shocking how many business people just don't know how to read a balance sheet and a PL and cash flow statement. And it's if you want to learn, Khan Academy has an amazing introductory course, it takes about an hour, and you'll learn everything right. you need to By know. By the way, did you guys hear this? The the IRS hired like some like some absurd number of new like auditors. A, Eight, was it like eighteen thousand no, or something? It's either like eighty thousand or or more. I don't know, like IRS hiring. New agents. I think they hired 80,000, um, 87,000 new hires. And so I think there's going to be a shitload of audits, which is why I wanted to be like super buttoned up with everything. Um, just because, oh man, that's another time suck if you get audited of like dealing with all that crap. So, uh, you know, I don't think they hired these people to do nothing. It's 80 billion, 80 billion in new funding and 87,000 tax agents. Isn't that insane? That's fucking crazy. They're going to have a lot of work to cut out for them. Um, I think we should almost wrap up. We have want to do one, one or two. Yeah, let's more. do one or two more. What are your favorite ones? Yeah, let's do, let's do one. What's a really good one. What about biggest change adjustment you're making in? Yeah, I think that's, that's All a right, tough one. I have that's one. one. Go, go Sam. So, um, for, I have a new thing that I'll launch that it's live, but I'll announce it later. Um, I'm hiring a CEO for it. I've already like done that. And I've never done that early on. I also am doing close to like, I'm being less of a dictator and I'm also being less metrics driven. This sounds like the freaking douchiest thing ever, but I'll say it, but more like vibe and energy driven. 
uh, basically with the hustle and like my last company, I was like by the book where it was like, all right, I want to see projections. We're going to nail it. We're going to like the, the metrics say this. Dude, therefore, like the I can page- see you putting a metric on the vibe too. You'd be like we're an 87 on vibe this week, guys. <laughs> well, like on my last, like uh, for all my companies, I'm like, look, you've got to do this many outbound calls. Like we're going to like whatever the AB metric is. This is what it is. Uh, like we're going with the A, that A1. And I just filed the data and I was like, I don't care. And then it was very much a dictatorship where I said my rule or my way or the highway. And I'm trying to be a little bit calmer for my next thing. And I think I'll make way more money that way. That's a great one. Great adjustment. Uh, Andrew, what you got? Biggest change or adjustment you're making in your business life 2023? So last year, um, I don't know if I said this, but my big goal was conquering email. Like I just, I was overwhelmed by it. It was stressing me out. And so now I've built a system. I've fully delegated it. I've got someone dedicated to managing my email. And so I really only get 10 or 15 emails that I have to respond to. And everything else is triaged and responded to and dealt with. So I've conquered email. The problem is now I get a lot of iMessages, like texts and stuff. And I'm going... I don't know how to conquer that other than changing my number, which seems fucked up. Um, I'm trying to figure that out. If anyone has any ideas, please tweet at me because um, there's, it seems like there's no way if someone has your number, they're going to get to you. And I have a really hard time not responding to texts. I feel kind of guilty. Um, so I'd love to you're hear just, any you're ideas You're just getting there. like cold texts from strangers. Is that the problem? Dude, I get so many of those. Not, not that it's just, there's, I mean, I get cold texts for sure, but it's more just like, there's so many people I've given my number out to and if someone doesn't get an email response to me, sometimes they'll try and go there. I think like some people have found my number online. Yeah. Like it's just, it's just becoming too much. And I'll be like with email, you can kind of turn it off. I'll be putting my kids down for bed and like reading a Kindle book on my phone and I'll be getting hit up with texts. And it's just the ability to break into your consciousness. Would you uh, just get a new number? Sucks. Yeah, I was thinking about it, but I've had my number since I was like 15. It feels messed up to do. I know, but I've thought about doing that as well. Sam, uh, okay, so you did yours, Andrew, you did yours. My biggest adjustment, um, you, knowing when to use my impulsiveness. So I'm an extremely impulsive person, um, and that works in like eight out of ten situations. One of the situations it doesn't work in is I'm very impulsive with picking businesses to start. And yeah. I will just like start a business like instantaneously, and I will go and I'll start making it happen. And it's really fun. And that wave and that thrill is so addictive. And then 11 months later, I'm like, okay, now I have this business. Um, was this the business that I wanted to have? Was Because like, I can't do that many of these at the same time. Uh, so is this the right? Are thing? you happy you started your e-com thing? Um, no. If I could go back and just pick a different project, I would. Um same thing with the Milk Road. Part of the reason I sold it was I was like, I don't think this was the project that I want to work on every year, um, you know, for the next three years. And so if I don't want to work on it for the next three years, I should just sell it now. And like, you know, uh, if I have a good offer, like take it. Um, but that's kind of a shitty feeling. Like there's a celebration in selling, but there's also a bit of a failure. It's like, I've been saying this for a while. I want to work on a project that I don't want to sell. Like this podcast Time has flown by. We're this is the third year we're doing the Millie Awards. That means this podcast is at least three years old. Um, I can keep going. I would do this for free. I was doing this for free. I, w- I was going to do this at a loss. So this is the right type of project for me to do. It's one that I would literally do if there was no money involved. 
I don't count the days or the hours. I'm not stressed about the metrics. I know it's going to keep going up because we'll just keep trying to do a better and better job. I have fun doing it and it's not a, not a drag on my lifestyle, right? Like perfect project. This has been the only project I've selected correctly on. I would argue every single business I've started since the age of 21 was the wrong pick. And it was always just the impulsive pick. It was someone should do this, dude. I bet I could do that, dude. I would just do this, this, and this. All right, let me just do it. And I would just do it. And then, you know, sure enough, I'm looking for the exit later because it wasn't really the right project. So I'm trying to find the big change is I'm going to find the project that's in my zone of genius. Um, That is the perfect project for me. It's one I enjoy doing. um, And I'm not building it for some future payoff. I'm building it. I'm doing it because I like doing it, that it is the the project that's, you know, I'm most interested in. And uh, if that changes later, okay, that's fine. I'm not saying I have to do it till I'm 99 years old. But um, I'm not doing it just kind of like on a whim. So I'm going to be patient and select the project properly. That's good. It's about time. I've been telling you that for 10 yeah. years. The best lessons are the Speaking ones that, that. You, that you have to relearn 10, 10 times over. So the other one was best business idea you yeah, wish someone to would end start. On. Yeah. Do you guys want to do Dude, that? Dude. Yeah, let's end on Tell that. me why your washer and your dryer are two different machines. <laughs> This is the craziest thing ever. Why do I have to get out of bed and remember to put my wet clothes into the dryer? It's ridiculous. This needs to be one. That's honestly, that is one of the that smartest things. That's actually a you've really good said. point. <laughs> it's, it's crazy to me. It's crazy to me that, that it's two different things. That that actually exists in, Europe, in one washer dryer. It, it, I'm just looking yeah, at that. Kind of, no, it's in, it's in Best Buy, <laughs> Home Depot. They're not that great this yet. This is a thing. They're not right? that great yet. Like mm. I use them in Europe and mm. they're only okay, but it needs to be the norm. Mm. This needs to be the norm. Yeah. Yeah. If you're working on AI or crypto or uh, self-driving cars, quit and figure this one out. Like we got to put, we got to have our priorities in order. You know how many people are wasting time well, on at, laundry? Look at, dude, th- like it's like, look at James uh, Dyson. Look at James Dyson. He's worth $18 billion. And he just was like, vacuums are terrible. I'm going to rethink those. Imagine like, he could have been working on AI, but no, he chose something. Do a dishwasher machine next to our dishwasher machine. Thank you. <laughs> I agree, dude. Like some of the, or like, uh, or like, have you ever noticed how the inside of a refrigerator, no matter how rich you are, it always looks like shit. <laughs> like we need like a better organizer or something. For, like, so some of these like day-to-day problems I think need to be improved. Particularly, we'll start with the washer and dryer. It needs to be one machine. Okay, I like that one. Andrew, what Love you got? That. Um, so mine, I tweeted about this. Um, so there's all these private jets out there flying around all over the world. And oh, often, tell me about it. Um, people, people, <laughs> will, people will fly somewhere and they don't need a return flight or they're going to go there for two weeks or three weeks or whatever. And so the plane actually flies back empty just with the pilots on it. Right. And I think this is truly insane. This is like billions of dollars getting lit on fire every month of just jet fuel and empty planes and stuff. I don't know what the solution is. I know there's people that have tried this, um, but it seems like a incredibly inefficient disjointed uh, world. And someone needs to crack this and create a central database of basically every plane that's available, because let's think about who owns private jets it's very, very rich people. Very rich people are usually business people and are logical. Do they care about having someone else fly back if it pays for all the fuel and stuff? Probably not. Maybe I'm but wrong. But it's kind of like Gucci, but- where it's like, well, I don't want to like sell my unsold Gucci clothes. I'd rather just burn them to keep the value up. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. 
But anyway, I do think there's a lot of people who would certainly want to get compensated for that if it was easy. And I think someone needs to crack this. Yeah, that's a that's a good one. Um, Okay, I'm going to go with the school for the starving artist. Okay, so I've met a lot of people in life who like to do different artsy things, you know, photography, film, (laughs) uh, you know, met somebody who was like, you know, they like they're like, oh, yeah, I fell in love with photography because I would hang up the freaking prints and like let them dry like whatever you know whatever that shit is uh col- you know <laughs> coloring you know blah 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 drawing there's all these art, art artistic <laughs> things and i would say most people give up on those passions or things because it's really really hard to make a living doing it or is it that's what i want to answer because now that i'm doing this ecom thing i now pay a lot of money to photographers it's just that they had to be branded as photographers who understand how to do product photography or commercial photo shoots. Um, my wife, when she was in business school, was just doodling on her paper board, and somebody walked by. And luckily, they saw that, and they go, did you draw that? And she was like, oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, I, I, I'm paying attention, I promise. And he's like, no, 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 I don't care. Like, But if you can draw that, I have a job for you. It's called graphic facilitation. You can make $1,000 a day just by going to these meetings and conferences for these businesses, and you draw on a giant whiteboard what they're talking about. So they have a visual takeaway at the end of it. And she made more money than me for a long time doing this thing. She would have never known how to turn her art into money. And so I think somebody should create an art school for people who have artistic talents, but want to be rich, uh, for have artistic talents, but they want to make a living doing it and not just be a starving artist for their whole life. I think you should create a specific school for this. And all the courses are things where you take an artistic trait, but you teach them how to do it in the commercial way. And they can make money even while they're in school doing this. Like, you know how big of a shortage there is of video editors now that YouTube and TikTok are so huge or, you know, again, commercial photography or drawing or all these different, different uh, artistic things. So I think somebody should create the school for the starving artists where they're no, they're not going to starve anymore and uh, get the, get the artists that are willing to sell out like 25% and just like do this. Like you see this girl on TikTok. She does these, she'll take like a, uh, like Dr. Pepper will pay her like a million dollars to do this TikTok where she does these like crazy slow-mo zoom in water dripping on the side. And she makes this epic, like, like video trailer of a Dr. Pepper. She makes a Dr. Pepper look like it's the unveiling of a new, you know, rocket by SpaceX. And she's just really talented at that. And brands are willing to pay her for that type of marketing. You know, there's a lot of people out there who could do that. They just didn't connect the dots. Well, what are you going to call it? You gotta have some cute ass name. Don't have it yet. That's the only hold. That's the only hold up. I'm, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna start till I have the perfect name. You know me. <laughs> Do we, uh, Andrew? I, you look like you just got your first communion. <laughs> uh, you just like you, you have you have an, an an angelic face and an angelic look. It doesn't matter how rich and successful you become. You uh, you still look like this little perfect communion boy. <laughs> Oh, thank you. I'm working on becoming a Twilight vampire like uh, Brian. That, that's my other goal this year. You're, I got what, What's the thing he eats every morning? The yeah, figgy yeah, yeah. pudding or whatever. It's like nut pudding. I get on that whole thing. Yeah, nutty pudding. That's Your right. face looks more trim. Oh, thank you. I feel like you say that every time I come on. Andrew, so maybe have I'm you ever gotten away. just like a crazy tan? Have you just ever come back looking Puerto Rican? Mm. My my problem is I I tan really really well on my arms and face, but I'm like 
I cannot tan on my body. So I have a have you ever done a fake tan? Have you tried taking off your shirt? <laughs> uh, no, this is yeah, sure. I should do that. I want you to come on yeah, next time, and I want you to look like you know Ricky Martin. So you know, just like you need to come back at least like a third Colombian in your tan next year, next time. Okay, here's here's the deal. Here's the deal. Okay, you and I'm serious. You get to eight uh, percent body fat. I will go to a tanning salon. I will go in one of those stand up tanners. And I will, uh, I will get really tanned and come on. No, you have to he, he's got to get to twelve percent, and you got a deal. <laughs> okay, well, no, 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 twelve, eight, twelve, eight, come on. twelve, twelve is like twelve is like soft abs. I want like crazy shredded. He abs. will, he'll look shredded because he's dark. Dude, he'll, you Sean just will have look to shredded if he gets to twelve. For like twelve minutes, I'm gonna have to like sacrifice my <laughs> life to do this. <laughs> I think twelve is a more than fair deal. Okay, okay this is a deal. What's the what's the timeline? Is a this year. within the year or when is Whenever this? Whenever okay, I do it, this is a lifelong deal. bet. If I ever get there, if I ever send you a oh, picture, you got to Sam, do we should we got to talk about that meetup we're doing in Vancouver. I will we'll do a shout out next time at the beginning, but we'll also do it Sweet. now. So we're doing a, a meetup. Sean, obviously you're invited, but I d- ever I doubt you'll ever. You guys show know up. me so well that you didn't even uh, invite me. That's I appreciate that you know me that well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're doing a meetup. We have to pick a date, but it's going to be mid February in Vancouver, right? How many yeah. people? How many people signed up or like gave interest? I think it's we already have we already have six hundred people, so it's going to be a big event. We got to figure that out. Yeah, we have to pick a venue. Mm-hmm. We just put it. Andrew put a type form. He didn't even ask me. He put a type form and he said, uh, Sam and I are doing a meetup sometime in February. TBD on all the details. Sign up here. That's pretty cool. I'll go. I'll, I'll do it. I'll we come. got people. There's people on I'll it. Come. You want to come? Yeah, come. It'd be awesome. I think Sahil said he would come too. And I just followed up with him on Twitter. I don't know if he's responded, but we got to get Sahil out. Too. Well, we, we, I've got some doctor's appointments in February that I got to work around. So let me figure out what, when those are and then we'll pick a date. All right, guys. Cool. Another successful right. Millie Awards in the books. Thank you. And we will see you next year.